Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. On DAB Digital Radio and 1089 and 1053 AM, Fight Night with Adam Catterall on Talk Sport. Welcome once again to Fight Night on Talk Sport, your home for boxing. I'm Adam Catterall. It is a pleasure once again to be in your company. I know that you might be uh, sick of the sound of my voice by now, talking fight sports after uh, last night's fracas, but what a night it was, and we'll be looking back at that. Uh, over the next couple of hours or so. We've got some top guests on the show, which uh, hopefully includes Carl Froch and Carl Frampton, and who knows, we might even get in contact uh, with Jamie Moore. I'll tell you why in a minute. Uh, joining me in the studio, uh, my illustrious colleague from the Fight Disciples podcast, it is Nick Pete, uh, with me last night to watch one of your uh, fellow countrymen, townmen, <laughs> citymen, uh, become... Fellow scouts, yeah, 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 yeah. To become uh, super middleweight champion of the world. Fantastic night for Callum Smith. Absolutely. It was a fantastic night for British boxing, fantastic night for, for Liverpool boxing, of course, the city's first ever ring magazine champion. So it's uh, hopefully not the last. Mm. Hopefully Tony Bellew follows in his footsteps in a few weeks' time. But phenomenal moment and a phenomenal moment for the family that I think don't, doesn't really get as enough, enough positive press as it should do. Four brothers... All British champions, all mm. world title contenders. Absolutely sensational story what they've gone through. And you know what? It was great to see all four brothers celebrating together in the ring last yeah. night because they've all played a part, Stephen, Paul, Liam. They've all played a part in building Callum into the, what is you know the best super middleweight on the planet. It was a sensational night, uh, live and exclusive on TalkSport. And as uh, Nick just pointed out there, we've got more fights coming up in the uh, upcoming weeks. Next weekend, it's Callum Johnson. Uh, in action over in the States the week after Lewis Ritson in his hometown of Newcastle. It's all go here at the home of boxing. But without any further ado, I think it's only fair that we get stuck into the top three stories of the week. I don't think there's any question about the top one. There's a new super middleweight king in town. He went to Jeddah. As a, as a challenger, and he came back as a king. Callum Smith is the new WBA super middleweight champion of the world. But not only that, he holds the Ring Magazine belt, which basically tells everybody that he's the man to beat at 168 pounds. Phenomenal performance against George Groves. We're going to pick the bones out of it throughout the course of this year, so do stick with us. At number two on my list this week, I've gone with the boxing board, uh, the British Boxing Board of Control Awards last night, which saw accolades for Jamie Moore as Trainer of the Year, Josh Taylor as Fighter of the Year, and the Overseas Fighter of the Year, Katie Taylor. All three have had sensational 12 months, and hopefully we'll get a little bit of a chinwag 
on this show uh, with Jamie Moore. Finally, the third big story of the week is TV deals, TV deals, TV deals. Uh, in the world of mixed martial arts, the UFC are leaving BT Sport. They're going to a streaming service called Eleven. We'll explain what that means for you in your pocket a little later on in the show. Uh, Bellator finally are going to be broadcast in real time on UK TV. Uh, tonight, there is an umdinger of a card of which you can catch in the early hours of the morning on Channel 5. And sad news from across the pond when it comes to TV deals. Uh, the TV channel that built boxing over in America, HBO, have announced that they're coming out of the sport. The fight uh, featuring uh, Jacobs and Derevyanchenko for the IBF Middleweight Championship of the World later this year will be their last bout. Sad news. What does this mean for boxing in America? What does this mean for boxing in America? It's booming over here. Yeah. We're getting new TV deals left, right and centre. I know that Eddie Hearn and his uh, matchroom boys are going over to the States with this new streaming service that they've got, DAZN, and HBO, a channel that's done over a thousand fights, mm-hmm. some of the richest fights in history, yeah. have decided that it's not for them anymore. It's weird, isn't it? It's such a strange move by them, but they always... They, you know, they were like pioneers in the sport. They got into boxing when nobody else was into boxing, you know, and it was because of HBO and obviously those sensational twenty four seven countdowns. Which, you know, as fight fans, you know, we we'd message each other and go, "The, the latest twenty four sevens out. You've got to mm. go and see it." Because we're sad like that. Well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but you, you're talking about names like Roy Jones Jr., Oscar De La Hoya, Shane Mosley, Floyd Mayweather, of course, Toro Gatti, Tyson Lewis. These were all names that were built on HBO. Mm. So to see they're coming out of the sport is disappointing. But you know what I think I've seen a quote from Larry Merchant who of course famously was the, was the announcer for HBO and he basically said HBO was like a prize fighter once it was hungry then it became champion it affirmed its legacy as a great champion and now it's retiring out of the sport it's time is done and, and it's time is done mm. the sport's changing the face of boxing is changing it's becoming more of a, a streaming kind of service isn't it, it it's suitable for, for streaming fights guys you know there's so many great fights out right now fight fans want it 24-7 and HBO can't offer that but streaming services like The Zone things like that ESPN Plus they are offering that in the US and so they've seen the market grow in that area and it's dying off somewhere else Big opportunity uh, for Eddie and The uh, Zone because people like Canelo Triple G and the likes will be wanting platforms oh, yes. to go and do their thing uh, One man that without any shadow of a doubt has increased his stock over the last 24 hours is Callum Smith he is the new super middleweight champion of the world uh, Last night on TalkSport we had live and exclusive commentary of his uh, explosive uh, finish of George Groves and what a finish it was very tight fight I thought up mm. until that seventh round and then when Callum Smith uh, sniffed, the, sniffed the end he wasn't shy in taking it no absolutely I thought it was it, it was a close fight in a lot in a lot of regards you know George Groves had a fantastic jab he was snapping it out you know it was like a spear he was just kind of keeping Callum away from it but he, at no point did Callum Smith get hurt in those six rounds. At no point did George Wobblin, did it no, at no point did George put Callum on his back foot and, and, and force his way forward and really make a dent in the fight. Throughout the whole thing, Callum was landing long right hands. He was hitting George repeatedly mm. at least once in every round. So you always thought that, okay, if the finish is coming from anywhere, it's going to come from Callum Smith. And when it did come, my goodness, he just absolutely unloaded on him. And you know, he timed that little check left hook perfectly as Groves threw a right hand, exactly the same punch I mentioned last night on commentary exactly the same punch that he finished Rocky Fielding with perfect shot completely scrambled George and when he backed him up into his own corner he didn't let him off the hook he peppered him upstairs and when he seen the opening hit him with a body shot and George never recovered from it that's the most impressive thing for me because in that moment 
if you think about the journey that Callum Smith has been on to that point, he's had to wait patiently. He's had fights fall through on him. He should have had a world title opportunity years ago, but he's yeah. had to wait a good three years for last night. That's his first shot at a world crown. He hurts the champion, a well-seasoned pro. He's hurt him. He's got him on the ropes, and you think to yourself, this is your moment now. This is your moment. Go and take that moment. To remain cool, yep. it, I mean, they talk about keeping a cool head in a hot kitchen, don't they? And he did that at that point. To be able to then methodically pick his way through the finish, because most people are just wing away. Yep. They'd just be chucking bombs and just hope that something lands in order to take their opponent out. But what he did... Just to, just for a split second, just to pause for a second to see an opportunity for that body shot and to sink it in. It was the body shot that finished the fight. Absolutely. I mean, everybody looking at it may have missed it because he was winging away at the at the top end, at Georgie's head, shoulders around that area. And then he just paused for a moment and then just threw that lovely right hand into the body. And you could just see the soul being sucked clean out of George. Yep. And it was the end of the fight. It was exactly. a beautiful, beautiful timing. For someone like George as well, who we've seen go to the well many times, climb up off the floor, you know, just be sensational. This journey that he was on to become world champion, you knew he was battle-hardened. We knew he could get up off the floor. That was the big question last night. If Callum Smith gets in trouble, can he get up off the floor? Can he get, go to the well? He's never had to go to the well. Last night, he didn't get close to going to the well. He, you know, Until that point, he didn't get out of fourth gear. It was such a calculated performance. You know, they, they let, I think they let George grow in confidence a little bit. And then when George started opening up, yeah, he did. that's when they countered. That's when they sunk the big shots in. And you're right, the body shot itself, to, to watch it back, to think this is his first world title fight. This is his first time in this environment. George has had seven or eight of them, I think he's had. For Callum Smith to be that calculated and to be able to say, the the adrenaline must be pumping, the excitement must be just absolutely surging through his body. His whole body must be screaming, finish, let it go. (laughs) But his brain to say, take a second, step back. Where are we? Okay. And if you look at the finish, he hits him with two right hooks, a left and then a right uppercut. So George is obviously trying to protect his upper body, trying to t- protect his face. And that's that's the whole point of the game, isn't it? You know, you, you pull his hands upstairs so you can you can finish him downstairs. And when that right hand sunk in, I think even Callum must have known at that point, that's it, I've got him here. He's, mm. he's not going to recover from this. And ultimately, George said afterwards, I've never been hit like a, with a body shot like that in my life. There's a wonderful video doing the rounds on social media of the moment that Callum Smith realises he's just become world champion, where he sinks to his knees. And then all of his brothers, his dad... His trainer, Joe Gallagher, they're all in there. And it just goes, just goes firstly to show how tight that family are, the journey that they've been on, mm-hmm. and all the things that they've been through to get to the point that they were at last night. And it kind of just brings home for me boxing in general. You, you, that moments like that, when you see moments like that, when you when you you can just see the emotion just pouring out of all all of their orifices. Yeah, it was just a fantastic thing to see last night, and and and. It just brings a smile to my face when you see someone um, who achieved the dreams. Yeah, exactly. That's the word I'm looking for. Someone just achieved the dreams. He climbed the mountain last night. Yep. And, you know, I'd seen Joe Gallagher just tweeted afterwards, patience is a virtue. And he has had to be patient. He's had to be ridiculously patient. Mm. You know, he's WBC number one contender for the best part of three years. And every time the fight got made, it either got cancelled or it got moved or it got postponed or the opponent changed. And that's exactly why Callum Smith and Joe, you know, that's why they signed up for this World Boxing Super Series tournament because they were guaranteed a world title at the end of it. He could not be avoided anymore. Mm. So there's a lot of questions last night. Is he ready? Is he ready for this moment? He's had to wait for this moment for so long. He better be ready. And 
boy was he ready mm. he was absolutely ready uh, Callum's now the kingmaker I've no doubt there's a target on his back everybody might want a shot or some people might not want a shot at, uh, <laughs> at that ferocious puncher uh, but he is now in charge of his own destiny. I'm looking forward to see how the next 12 to 18 months pans out and where he's going to be fighting. I know that you're excited at the possibility of maybe Anfield. Oh, yes. That should be good. Uh, but what about the opponent, George Groves? Obviously, a former champion. He's been there, done that, got the T-shirt. He's only 30 years of age, but he's an old 30, as we were talking about yesterday. There's a lot of there's a lot of miles on that clock. Yeah. He's now been in the ring over a, uh, for 200 rounds. At 30 years of age, that is at some point going to take its toll. I want to point out as well, there were a few people on social media last night pointing out, oh, he's obviously not fit from the shoulder injury. For me, he was winning the fight. I know that you had it level, level, but I had it 4-2 to George. I thought his jab was absolutely outstanding in that fight. There was no sign of any injury whatsoever. And I thought, uh, and I just want to quash that because he was yeah. fully fit last night he just got taken taken out by a better man he did yeah a bigger stronger younger hungrier man uh, I think George now needs to go back and spend time with his family uh, his young family and, and really get his head around the fact that you know he's he's had to go down he's had to he, you know he's, being on all fours in your own corner struggling to catch your breath because of a body shot and having to look at your own training and shake your head say you don't want any more you, you've got no intention of getting back to your feet I don't think it's it's tough for any fighter to come back from that. You know, it's a tough moment in a career where you where you 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 kind of accept defeat. You accept it, and George's had to climb the mountain so many times to finally become world champion. Twelve months ago, when he beat Chudanov and finally lifted the belt above his head, that was his moment. His dream has been realised. His journey is kind of complete. His legacy, if you like, is assured. I think there's only one fight out there for him if he does want to continue, and that's obviously the, the trilogy fight with, with James DeGale. But I think everyone will agree that both those guys are probably just past their best. And it, but it would be a big fight for the UK. Mm. But from George's point of view, do you risk it? Because he's got the victory there, hasn't he? Yeah. In the professional game, he's got that victory. Why, why risk it? Because, as you've said, if he is coming down the other side of the mountain now, to go out with a loss to one of your biggest rivals in the yep. sport. You don't want that, especially after all the things that you've achieved. He's financially secure off the back of this tournament. We Everybody knows that he was paid extremely Absolutely. well to be a part of the World Boxing Super Series. His, uh, his grandchildren's children won't, have to, uh, won't even have to go to school. They're going to be looked after. <laughs> I'm sure they will, but they'll be looked after. And as you said, he's achieved his dream. He's become world champion. What else yep. is there now for him to do? Because I can't really see him one getting back in with Callum and beating him, I can't see that. No. And if I look around at the other ch- other champions, yeah, okay, there's some fights there, but <clears throat> is there a desire there to get in, go and do a long car camp to fight someone like a Benavidez or something like that? I don't think it's there. No, neither do I. I, I think at the moment he needs to go back to the Jordan. But you know what? I think at the moment he needs a break. He needs a break away from the sport yeah. altogether. Um, he spent a lot, an awful long time in this camp, in this tournament. You know, this this tournament has kind of enveloped him for 12 months. It was supposed to be a six-month thing. It ended up becoming a 12-month thing because of the injury. So he needs some time away from boxing now, and he needs just some time to sit back and think and maybe maybe chat with Shane McGuigan and see how, how they want to move forward. You know, there was a lot of talk of either himself or Callum potentially moving up to light heavyweight. There was a lot of talk of that last spring maybe that's a move forward <coughs> when when, you, when you're getting beat by guys like callum smith and it's only going to get worse the heavier you go you know the bigger you go so hopefully his future there is fights out there for him of course i think the gale thing makes perfect sense to me but right now he's just got to make sure his desire's still yeah. there you know it's it's hard to have that desire when you're climbing off sh- silk sheets in the morning you know <laughs> so rather than uh rather than cotton ones mm. so george has got he's, he's achieved his dream his legacy is there mm. Uh, do stick with us, there's lots coming up on the show We're going to speak about uh, the British Boxing Board of Control Awards last night 
some people that have presented the show were winners. Um, so we'll be speaking hopefully to them if they're not too uh, hungover still uh, <laughs> from uh, yesterday's celebrations. Do stick with you. You listen to Fight Night on TalkSport. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we present Rowdy in Saudi. So the action underway for you here on TalkSport. Home of big time boxing. Will it be Groves? Will it be Smith? Good right to the body from Groves. And a smile on the face of Smith as Groves landed. Perhaps his first truly solid shot of this opening round. Good fast hands. Oh, he's caught by right hand though. And staggered. A right hand from Smith. And Groves now under attack. He goes back onto the ropes, tries to fire back. But this is a good attack from Smith. Back comes Groves with a solid left hook off the rope. Right hand may be taken on the floor out of Smith. Good shot over the top from Smith. Fast right hand and Groves chin tested once again. Smith tries to cut the ring off. Just get through with a, a left hand lead, but again, it's Groves who's just a little bit busier. Now a big left hand from Smith. Groves caught off balance. But he doesn't follow it up, Smith. Groves gets his gloves up high. It's a left hand that caused him damage that time into the body. From Groves and another one. Right hand may have been just a touch slow. And then a right to the body and Groves is caught. Big left hand down the right hand. And he's in trouble here, Groves. Smith's unloading. He's got him in the corner. Big shot. And the signal. Oh, he's gone down. Groves has gone down. He's gone down in the seventh round. Big trouble. Trying to clear his head. Is he going to make it up? He's not. It's all over. It's all over. He shakes his head. He can't make it up. And Callum Smith is the winner of the Muhammad Ali Trophy. Uh, brilliant commentary from last night's live and exclusive on TalkSport. Uh, John Rawlin there calling you through. George Groves versus Callum Smith and the new super middleweight champion of the world. Uh, is the boy from Liverpool a man that loves a finish? A lad that a lad that loved getting his guys in trouble and then taking them out. He's on the phone right now. Carl Froch, welcome to the show. How are you? How you doing? You alright, boys? Yeah, very well indeed. Very well indeed. And you must have been impressed yourself, being a man that loved to sniff blood and take people out. You must have been very impressed with the way that uh, Callum Smith went about his business in the seventh round last night. Yeah, he did well. Great finish. He, um, like you say, tasted the blood and he, he went he went for the finish, didn't he? Um, we wasn't sure if Callum Smith was able to compete at world level. Um, don't want to take anything away from, from his performance, but George Groves didn't, I don't know, he just didn't look good last night um, from the off. Uh, but that may have been because Callum Smith was so good with his with his counterpoints. I mean, that counter left hook was one of the best counter left hooks for speed, accuracy and power that I've seen in a long time. And then he was able to back up Groves and we heard it there on the, on the playback. I mean, the finish was the finish was great. He just applied the pressure, backed up Groves and you know, I don't want to. I don't want to give Groves too much stick, but I feel he could have got up. He almost. He almost quit. He just. He just didn't want any more, did he? Well, we've. We kind of. You just said that in the first section of the show. We've kind of just alluded to that, haven't we, Nick? That when you shake your head to your trainer on yeah. count seven or eight, you've kind of the writing's kind of on the wall for what comes next, isn't it, Carl? It is, yeah. I mean, come on, try and keep me down. I mean, I just want to talk about myself, but put me, put me down, and I'm getting up furious. Um, and and you're gonna to have to nail me to that canvas to make me stay down. I mean, he, he looked quite clear and copious mentors. He could see where the referee was counting. He, he knew he was on seven, eight, and he, I think he had every opportunity. And you know, I think he was still had the the mental awareness to stand up and and continue fighting and give the give the fans what they wanted a conclusive finish. But I mean, it was a great finish by Callum Smith. 
he did well. But I just feel Groves could have gone up and he could have carried on, and he didn't. So I'm a bit disappointed with that, to be honest. But um, like I said, great performance from Callum Smith. Regarding, we'll, we'll, we'll go with Callum first, seeing as that he won last night, and obviously now that he's classed as the number one super middleweight uh, in the division, he's a big boy, isn't he, at, at six foot three? And you would you would imagine. Uh, that he could go up another weight division and and compete there as well. Yeah, well, when I first started sparring Callum as an amateur, he was he was a big lad, tall, and um, he still looked to me like he needed to fill out. He looked a bit spindly uh, and wiry, and he didn't have that thick set body or, or muscle bulk. But mm. I thought as soon as he turns pro, he'll go up from super middleweight. He'll end up being a, a good, like a big, strong, light heavyweight. But speaking to Joe Gallagher a couple of weeks ago before this, he says he does the weight easy. Um, a lot of trainers say that and don't particularly mean it, just to spread the word that it's not a pro- not a problem. But I think he does do the way he's he's, he's, a, he's just a tall super middleweight, and uh, I think he he will dominate now at this weight for a long time because no one really threatening him. And if he is not struggling, and we were in the gym yeah. last week, weren't we? We Jim? were there a week before, and he was about five pound over a week yeah. before. Very comfortable drinking, hydrating during rounds, you know, sparring. He looks very comfortable at the weight. There's no, there's no need for him to go up until exactly. he's unified or become undisputed, and there's no real challenge there left for him. There's no real need for him to go as of yet. No, you're right, dead right. If you can do the weight comfortably, like I did when I was fighting, then going up in weight, you're giving away all your natural strength and. Um, height and reach advantages because if he goes up to light heavyweight I know it's only 12 stone 7 7 pounds heavier than what he's campaigning at now 175 pounds as opposed to 168 mm. but the guys are coming down from 14 stones some of them mm. I mean look at Tony Bellew now he was a decent strong light heavyweight and look at the size of him now I mean they're, they're big lads and so now I think Callum Smith's found his weight or he's, he's at his correct weight he does the weight okay and to, to obliterate George Groves in the manner in which he did last night just for me him. You've got to stick him at number one. I mean, I put it out on my Twitter last night. Callum Smith is now number one in the division, um, and I don't know. I don't know what's next for him. It'd be nice to see him give James Gale a bit of a pace, and if he fancies it, absolutely, <laughs> bring that on at Anfield. The power you're talking about there, Carl. Is it is it the long arms? Is it the Tommy Haynes syndrome? Is it them big levers? Is that where the power comes from? You, you mentioned it especially that little hook that he landed, which which brought on the finish. Exactly the same shot, by the way, that finished Rocky Field and when they fought in a British title fight. How difficult is that to land, especially if you're such a long guy? Yeah, well, power comes from technique um, and also something that you can't really. I mean, some lads that have got terrible technique, boxers over the years, have just got freakish power. Nassim Hamed was a featherweight and he, he was a big puncher. Julian Jackson. Yeah. He, he hit his guys and just knocked them unconscious. There was there was a sleep before they hit the ground. And you've got some big lump heavyweights that don't really punch that hard. So it's, it's a strange one how you sort of define power, what makes power. But certainly timing, a good technique, good balance, and then fitness to be able to keep keep the power going through, through the you know the duration of the rounds um, through the fight. But Callum Smith, I think, is just quite naturally strong. And because he's tall and ranging gangly, like you say, Thomas Hearns, he's got that range, but... That shot he landed, that counter left hook, was a short, sweet left hook, which was all technique. He turned it over from his hips and got his arm round and turned his turned it onto his left foot and all that weight transferred over and just um, you see the damage he did with Grove. Grove stepped back and he was all over the place, wasn't it? Great shot from Callum and um, real good predatory finishing instincts, which I was impressed with because at world level you need that. 
We've done quite well in Britain down the years at uh, middle and super middleweight, haven't we? It seems to be uh, the glamour division. I know that the heavyweights get uh, all the credit, and rightfully so, because they are uh, freakish human beings. But the super middles, there's something something quite nice about the normal man on the street being able to go in the ring and do the bits. No, there is, definitely. I don't know about rightly so for the heavyweights, but they get all the credit, don't they? They, mm. they make all the money and they get all the loud lights. <laughs> the super middleweights in the middleweight division, I mean, it's your average man 12 stone and there's far more top fighters at that division, so it's hard, a lot harder to become world champion at middleweight and super middleweight. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're talking about Callum Smith. He's 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 got his number one spot and, and rightly so and thoroughly deserved. I'm proud of him and his family. I mean, the Smiths are a big boxing family. I'm, I'm friends with Paul Smith. He's my colleague on Sky and... Um, Obviously, you've got Liam and Stephen, and they're all doing very well. But I think I think um, this is the special one of the family in Callum Smith, and I think his reign now starts. This is when he's going to go to that next level. Top man, Carl. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Take care. Pleasure, always. Take care. Um, Carl Froch, the former uh, super middleweight champion of the world. He's right in what he what he was saying there. Now, there's no point in him moving in weight at this moment in time, no. Callum Smith, even though he is massive and he could probably make 175 quite comfortably, but. If the, until he's unified, until he's undisputed, if he's comfortably getting down to 12 stone, just keep cruising along. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I think he will do. I think uh, time waits for no man. I think he wants to be a two-weight world champion. I think within 12, 18 months, I think we'll move up just purely down to the fact that he'll have unified the belts anyway. Mm. Uh, you listen to Fight Night on Talk Sport. We've got two for you this week. Obviously, last night we were bringing you live an exclusive commentary of the World Boxing Super Series final between Groves and Smith. And tonight we're going to pick the bones out of everything that's been going on in the world of boxing uh, over the last seven days. So do stick with us. Don't go anywhere. This is Talk Sport. Now the heavyweight title fight is about to get underway. 12 rounds here at Wembley Stadium. Weaknesses and strengths. Oh, good shot for Aiken. Uppercut, another left hook right on the bell. And Joshua felt the weight of that to the body. Oh, great shot from Joshua. And a left hand as well. Right hand into the side of the head of Povetkin, and he's got him going. Povetkin now is having to dig in. He's caught by Lopez, and he's down. Left hook followed by the right hand. Povetkin goes down, and he's almost fallen through the ropes. He's going to allow it to continue. Joshua can take him out here in the seventh round. Left hand misses with the right hand at the top. Left hook and a big right hand, and it's all over. The winner by TKO victory still the undefeated heavyweight champion of the world, the fighting pride of the United Kingdom, AJ Anthony Joshua. Highlights from last weekend at Wembley, a very wet Wembley. But it's always good to hear the dulcet tones of John Rowling calling a fight. I'm quite lucky to sit on the top table with him. Take my headphones off. It's like he's personally commentating to me. Uh, but you can catch him on all our big fight nights uh, here on Tuxport, the home of boxing. Uh, Joshua coming through a real stern test against Alexander Pivetkin. Uh Nick, you caught this, obviously, at home watching it on the TV and yeah, yeah. Uh, on the show last week. I personally can't get enough of watching Anthony Joshua. There's a lot of people that throw shade on uh, Anthony's performances and they say, oh, oh, he ain't all that. I don't care if he's all that. I really don't, mate. Because if I'm buying a ticket and going to the boxing, I want to be entertained first and foremost. I'm not here to watch a chess match. That's not what I'm here for. Yeah. I'm here to have a few bevies with me mates, sit in the ring, 
sit in the not in the ring, sit, sit in the ringside <laughs> seats if I'm lucky enough, if I've got a few quid or in the bleachers, whatever it may be, and I just want to be entertained. Yeah. And Anthony Joshua, nine times out of ten, entertains me. And that the weekend was the epitome of that. It was the most entertaining because of his vulnerabilities and when he sniffs blood, mate, he takes them out. Exactly. And this is why Anthony Joshua and you know what? Throw Amir Khan in there as well. <clears throat> That's why they're so entertaining. That's why they sell so many tickets. That's why they're pay-per-view superstars. Because there's that air of vulnerability. And that card last weekend, you know, it wasn't the greatest card up until Anthony Joshua stepped in the ring. We had an absolute stinker, all British title class underneath. Then Luke Campbell put us through a, a, a technical exhibition, which, you know, for, for boxing purists, it was a marvel to watch. But for your beer-drinking lads who just want to go for a bit of entertainment, it was a bit of a snooze fest. Mm. Then Anthony Joshua gets in there. He gets his nose busted up in the first round he's behind on the scorecards and then he pulls off the most incredible finish against the guy that's mm. never been stopped before come on you know well on should the, be asking for more money just a quick one on the scorecards because i had him behind i had him i, did, I had him four two down you're obviously same. agreeing with me and uh, the majority of people that were sat in and around me were of the same thought process as where i was at however afterwards i had a look at the scorecards that were from the official judges and they had him up yeah um which I found quite difficult to believe, and a few other people on the television found him uh, quite difficult to believe. So when we do say he was down on the cards, I think we're referring to our own on, pers- on our own yeah. personal cards. The um, facts, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I thought he was very, very patient. And actually, from a tech, if you want to go technical, and if you want to talk the technicals of uh, of his finish. He was setting that finish up from the second round, mm-hmm. the way that he was jabbing to Povetkin's body, because I found it quite weird that I was watching him thinking. Make your size count. He was bending down to yeah. actually make him look like he was the same size as Povetkin. And he was jabbing him to the stomach a lot and then following it up with a right to the, to the body. I'm thinking, why is he doing that? And it was only when he finished the fight where he jabbed to the stomach. Povetkin was in the rhythm then of thinking, right, the next one's coming to the body. The hands went down and then bop. Yep. Do you like that sound effect there? That's what we do. No expense spared here on TalkSport. <laughs> That's the sound effect of a right hook. <laughs> he absolutely clipped him. And then... The beautiful thing, as we saw last night with uh, with Callum Smith, when the very best, the top fighters, they know when you're in trouble, and they're yeah. not, and they are not frightened of taking you out. For in in the fight that we saw with Chris Eubank Jr. last night, yeah. he had his man in trouble. He did, and he let in him first off. round. He let him off. He let him off the hook. Callum Smith had his man in trouble, took him out. Anthony Joshua last night, uh, last week had Povetkin, sensed he had Povetkin in trouble, and the very first moment he had him in trouble. Bang! He had him out of there. You don't get paid for overtime in this game, no. and that's what separates the you know the would be champions and the true world champions, the true greats. Um, Joshua last week. If if you go back and watch it again, it, it's it, it's a way. It, I always say this after the Joshua fight. That was my favorite Joshua performance. Yeah, I kind of yeah. say this after every yeah, single do. one yeah. because even against it shows t- us this something different. Yeah. It shows us a different style, a different way of boxing. It's like we're watching him blossom in front of our very eyes. Yes, he's the you know pretty much the undisputed champion. I know he hasn't got the WBC belt, but he's got the rest. Yes, he is the world number one and the biggest pay per view star in boxing, but still. We're watching him evolve as a champion and as a fighter. He's showing different things. Like to stick to his game plan last week when he was hurt in the first round, when he was losing rounds, and yet he stuck to the game plan of jabbing to the body, work it down here, bring him down. You know, everyone going into that fight, we all kind of agreed that Povetkin had four or five rounds in him. He was going to be dangerous for the first, you know, first third, first half of the fight after that Joshua would take over. And they, they took that on board as well. He was patient. He didn't rush, nose busted up in the first round. He didn't explode and think, I'm going to get him out of here. You know, I'm in trouble. I've never had, I've never been in this environment before. I can't breathe properly. And panic never set in. 
cool, calm and collected AJ. And that's 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 why he's such a great champion. I think most fans can appreciate that. Yes, a lot of a lot of fans that are, that are watching Anthony Joshua, for instance, aren't necessarily watching George Groves versus Callum Sl- no. Smith last night. You know, he's got much more of a broad stream appeal. But even they must be able to appreciate what they're seeing in Anthony Joshua. The fact that he's finishing people in a variety of ways. He's entertaining every single time he's out there. He doesn't panic. He's cool, calm, collective. But at the end of it, he's a killer as well. Mm. Takes his prey out. And he's in a position that not many people find themselves in in this heavyweight division. If you go down the annals of time, the majority of these champions have had a good 30 fights before they're fighting for a world title. You look at and you look at Anthony Joshua's record. He's in his early twenties when it comes to numbers of fights, and he's the unified champion of the world. And as you rightly just pointed out, he is still learning on the job. Mm. You can't knock everything that he's done. He's beaten Klitschko. There's always then you throw shade. Well, he would have washed up Klitschko. Fury made him look a mug. Whatever. That was the for me. That was the best Klitschko that I've seen for ten years. Yep. He rocked up at Wembley and he was winning that fight. But again, Joshua found a way to win. Winners will always find a way. He fought an undefeated champion in Joseph Parker. All right, he didn't take him out, but he outboxed him for a good 12 rounds. And I genuinely think that because maybe Parker didn't engage as much as he should have done and the referee spoiled that fight a touch, mm-hmm. Joshua didn't get the finish that everybody expects him to get. So therefore, threat, shade gets thrown on him again. And at the weekend, he's fighting the shade that gets thrown on Povetkin. Oh, he's 39 years of age, washed up. Hang on a minute. He was a real live opponent. He was the mandatory challenger for two of those belts, and he came and he threw the kitchen sink at him. Yep. He threw the kitchen sink it. at him, and Anthony Joshua took care of it. Exactly. Nobody stopped Povetkin before. No. Joshua has. All credit to Povetkin for doing that as well, for turning up and having a go. You know, for th- tacking up t- times for surviving. Parker came just to survive. We didn't get to see the best of Anthony Joshua. It's when guys come and have a go. And Pavekin did. He, he, he come and he threw everything he had at Joshua. He came to win. But Anthony Joshua, as you say, he finds a way. He's he, he's comfortable in adversity. And mm. that that's, uh, separates the champions. You know, That's what makes him so special. And more than anything, he made a statement, didn't he? You know, We, we talked about yeah. it a lot in, in the run-up, saying that it's crazy that the biggest heavyweight fight this year does not involve Anthony Joshua because Fury's fighting Wilder in December. So Anthony Joshua had to make a statement. He had to remind the world why I'm he's the, the number one, yeah. why he's the best, why he's the pay-per-view draw, and why all roads, regardless of what happens with Wilder and Fury, all roads ultimately lead back to Anthony Joshua because mm. he's the money man in the division. Mm. He's the guy with all the belts. And he proved that again. He proved why he's the number one. Sensational stuff. Not only that, what he does inside the ring, he's a phenomenal character outside the ring. He's very switched on now some people might think it's a bit convoluted or it's a little bit fake or whatever it may be listen i've spent a little bit of time obviously media environments around him and he might be putting it on but even if he is putting it on he's playing the game really really well he's making a lot of people love him he's making a lot of people like him as a human being and i'm talking about all different demographics of people you pointed this out right at the start of our conversation the people that are going, the people that will be with us at the Copper Box, for example, to watch Ted Cheeseman on the 27th, here live and exclusive on TalkSport, won't be the same people that are going to an Anthony Joshua fight. No. They'll probably what we would call boxing hardcore. They will be there for, the, for that type of fight where the likes of Jordan Gill are fighting. Anthony Joshua fight, it is a night out. Yeah. And it's all because they bought into him as a human being, what he is. Grandmas love him. Your girlfriend loves him. Your dad loves him. Your granddad loves him. You, they all want to be there. They all want to be at an Anthony Joshua event. Just to say in a few years' time, oh, I've seen him. 
I've yeah. seen him fight. Sounds I've been to it. one of his fights. I've been to an Anthony Joshua event. It's very unique that not many people get to harness that. And we should we should celebrate it because yeah. he's ours. Exactly. He's our boy. And he's doing it on our shores. When Lennox was doing it, Lennox had to go to the States. Yeah, exactly. How many how many people here now listening to this show can say, oh, I've seen Lennox Lewis fight live? Of course. Not many of us. No. Not many of us because, all right, he has done it here in the UK, but... Most of it was done over there. Majority of it. In the big fights, they were always over in the States. Yeah, and that's the change in face of boxing now as well, isn't it? You know, you mentioned at the start of the show about HBO getting out of boxing. Part of the reason is that the, the, the sport isn't booming over there like it is over here. This is the hotbed of world boxing right now, the UK, and a massive part of that is Anthony Joshua's success. Another element, of course, is the fact that boxing's changing. Boxing, unlike a lot of sports which have kind of that caught out by the world we live in right now, this media savvy, instant social media kind of world that you know people want everything on demand. Boxing's answered that. Boxing's ready for that. Boxing's ready for that world. Mm. And so instead of having you touched on it there, a heavyweight champion that needs thirty or forty fights to get to a world title fight. He's having his world title fight, you know, as soon as he gets into double figures. Vassal Lomachenko was having a world title fight in his second fight. You know, Paddy Barnes just had a world title fight, had a handful of fights as well. Five fights, yeah. Boxing's changing. And it's all the better for it because people haven't got time anymore to go, okay, he's a heavyweight, he's a prospect, he's an Olympic gold medalist. I'm going to follow his journey for the next five years while he beats up journeyman after journeyman and then eventually become European champion. Mm. People haven't got time for that no more. We want it now, right? I've just seen you win an Olympic gold medal. Okay, you've got two years of my attention until you become a world champion. And boxing's gone, okay, let's do it. Let's mm. move them fast. So Anthony Joshua was doing that. Yes, he may not be around as long as Lennox Lewis was. If he's still fighting into his 40s, I'll be very surprised. Mm. But by the time he's by the time he gets to his 40s, will he have anybody left to fight? Mm. Well, we're going to discuss what is next uh, for Anthony Joshua because, like I said, every time he fights, there's always shade thrown and the names of Fury and Wilder are always brought up. So therefore, we're going to get stuck into it next. You listen to Fight Night on Talk Sports. <laughs> brilliant fight for the development of Anthony Joshua's career and I know fans don't really want to know about the development of Anthony Joshua's career but the plan is for this guy to be around for eight or ten years and of course be the undisputed champion. We will go away now and try and make the Deontay Wilder fight for April. We don't have to wait till December, you know I heard some commentators say we just wait till December. No, no, no. We can sign the fight now. It's no problem. Obviously you've got to win. We believe you're going to beat Fury if that fight happens but if not and if you lose Fury gets a rematch and we fight someone else. But we need to know about our future. Not in December. You know, we're in September now. One thing's for certain, we're back here April the 13th at Wembley Stadium, live and exclusive on Talk Sport. Plays the game, does Eddie. Plays the game well. Eddie Hearn speaking to Dom McGuinness at Paul's fight last weekend at Wembley. And you've got to read between the lines a little bit because he won't say it outright. You've got to read between the lines and kind of take in all the information and come to your own conclusions. And my conclusions off the back of that is that we're not going to see AJ fight uh, Deontay Wilder next. I hope we do, Mm -hmm. but I don't think we will. Um, From Wilder's point of view, listening to Eddie speak there, Eddie's saying we don't have to wait till December. For those that don't know, by the way, Deontay Wilder, the WBC champion, is fighting Tyson Fury in Los Angeles on the 1st of December. That is happening, uh, and that will all be confirmed this week with various press conferences, of which I've no doubt you'll hear here on Talk Sports. So that's happening then, okay? But Eddie's saying we're not going to wait till December to find the results of that fight to try and make the Wilder fight. Now, the reason why he's doing it, and I'll tell you why he's doing it, is because if Wilder sparks out Tyson Fury in December 
his stock rises. <laughs> yeah. His bargaining chips and leverage in the negotiation with Anthony Joshua rises. And therefore, that will then eat into the percentage split that Anthony Joshua takes out of that fight. So, Eddie, being the businessman that he is, and this is the right way of going about it from his point of view, is to say, let's do the deal now. Let's do the deal now. Yeah. And, we'll, and we'll, we'll discuss the stock that you're worth now. And then we'll make this fight for next year. Even though your stock might have risen by next year, let's do the deal now. Because he's looking to save himself a few quid and get a, a better percentage for his man. But if you're Deontay Wilder and you're backing yourself against Tyson Fury, and I think a lot of people are, yep. you go, hang on, Ed. Sit tight, son. Yeah, yeah. We will do the deal on the 2nd of December. No problem. I'll go and deal with Fury. We'll do the deal on the 2nd of December. I just think... The egos that are involved, the business people that are involved with this super fight. And don't get me wrong, we all want to see it. I want to see it. It's, it's a great fight. Yep. AJ Wilder is a gun show. Somebody's going over, right? But because there's so many parties involved trying to get the best deal for their guy, for this fight to happen next, somebody's got to take a backward step. And I can't see it happening, mate. No, and that's the problem. You know, we're in this wonderful age of boxing at the moment where the big fights are getting made. Things like the World Boxing Super Series mean that we're getting the fights that we have, we never used to get 10 years ago because of politics. But unfortunately, the heavyweight division isn't boxing. There's there's professional boxing, then there's the heavyweight division yeah. of professional boxing. The two completely different sports. And the heavyweight division has always been riddled with politics, always been riddled with too many managers, too many promoters, too many governing bodies, too many TV companies who've got leverage in certain fighters. And for that reason, I just can't see it happening next. You know, The only way it happens is if Deontay and AJ step to the plate and just go, hey, right, get it done. That's it. That's the only way this is going to happen. Yeah. Because the likes of Shelley Finkel and Eddie Hearn and everybody else that's got their fingers in the pies of this, they all want the best deal for their man, i.e. the best deal for them. Yeah. They want to make as much money as possible. It makes no sense for Team Deontay Wilder to do a deal with Eddie Hearn right now because you're right, he's about to fight on Stream It in the UK in a pay-per-view channel. He will be shown here. Fight fans will engage with the Fury fight. Maybe they're Fury fans. They become Deontay Wilder fans. Suddenly now they want him to beat Anthony Joshua. And that, that's got to play out before we find out how much it truly is worth this fight. And I, I get what Eddie's trying to do, but it's never going to happen. And for that reason, I just can't see it happening in April. I think there's now more chance of, of Dillian White getting back in with AJ. And don't get me wrong, the Dillian White fight for AJ is actually a really good fight. And I'm interested in it because there's a narrative there. We've seen these guys go at it before. AJ came through it. Everybody yeah. knows the narrative of the amateurs when Dillian beat him in AJ's first amateur bout. Um, but Dillian most certainly has become a better boxer uh, since that first professional meeting. Um, and he's earned his stripes. He's earned yeah. a shot at one of the world champions. I thought that it might have been Wilder at some point, but he's definitely earned a shot at those belts. Uh, AJ's come on leaps and bounds, obviously, since that first fight. So because the narrative's there, I think a lot of fight fans will buy into it here in Britain. But from a world perspective of my dream of seeing an undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, we're getting treated at the moment. We've just seen Alexander Usyk become the undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world. The year previous, we saw Terence Crawford uh, become undisputed champion as well. These undisputed champions, they, they're like rocking horse muck, mate. We don't get to see him that often. 2005 was the last time previous to Terence Crawford. We're now on the cusp of seeing of a heavyweight, of a heavyweight the main man, the number one, with all the belts, everything, everything in the division is yeah. going to be could be held by one guy, the baddest man on the planet. All they need to do is sign a contract. That's it. That's all they need to do. Somebody just needs to take a backward step to make that dream happen. Did but you? I just can't see it happening next. No. 
and it's because of money, you know, and that's been the plague of boxing over the years. There's just too much money on the table. We're talking about two bigger figures here. You know, we're talking about tens, if not hundreds, of millions of dollars, and for that reason, it just makes it so much so much harder to make. You know, listen, if Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua were left alone, they would fight tomorrow. Yeah. They would fight each other with the drop of a hat. No one's scared of anybody here. No one's running away from anybody. They would fight each other tomorrow. The problem is that they surround themselves by business people because they want to make maximise their potential and their earnings. And I think it was a shrewd move by Team Deontay Wilder to jump in with Fury and to accept Fury's challenge. It's a very good move. Because it strengthens their bargaining position, as you say. It, they beat the man that's never been beat, that beat himself. You know, and, and obviously Fury's thinking, well, I can I can shortcut my way right to the very back, to the top of the sport. And listen, we're talking and about he, Tyson Fury And here. he might I, do I'm it. I'm telling you now. He might do Tyson it. Tyson Fury might fuddle and muddle his way through 12 rounds and steal it and steal it away from Deontay Wilder. He's done it before and he can certainly do it again. And, and as Eddie touched on then, then you will get the straight rematch. There's only The only way Tyson Fury got this fight the way he has is because there's a it's in the contract that if he beats Deontay Wilder, they have a straight rematch. So that will put AJ back another six months, AJ Wilder back another six months. Or AJ Fury. Or AJ Fury, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And then, well, if you think it's a political minefield now, wait until if Tyson Fury gets through Deontay Wilder not once but twice, then it's just going to be insane mm. because you're going to have Frank Warren on one side and you're going to have Eddie Hearn on the other. And they're gonna be they're gonna be uh, you know pulling strips off one another. So it, it, it's only the pressure of the fans, I think. And, that, and I feel now for Dion, for Dillian White because if Dillian White ultimately does end up fighting Joshua in, at Wembley in April, I think the negativity towards that fight from a lot a, a lot of mainstream fans that go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, you, you're setting up the Deontay Wilder fight. Now we're gonna see him fight someone he's fought before. I think the the negative. The negative response of fans won't be good for the sport, won't be good for AJ, and it won't be good for Dillian White. Mm. It is going to be interesting to see what happens in December because this, is, in my head, the, the perfect scenario, the perfect scenario for Eddie, right? I was going to say for who? For Eddie. For Eddie, yeah. This is what Eddie would like, yeah. right? I'm, I'm speaking on his behalf. He'll probably phone me up later and say, what are you talking about, mate? <laughs> <laughs> this is the perfect scenario. So we've got December the 1st, Wilder, Fury. Yeah. Fury wins, right? Okay. I don't know where you're going with this, but... Straight rematch then. Yeah. So that takes care of it. So therefore, he's, his hands are tight. I can't do anything about it. These boys have signed up for a, a straight rematch. I can't put him in for April because in April, Wilder and Fury are going at it again yeah. in their rematch. That's taken care of. So I have to put Dillian White in there. So Dillian White then goes and fights Edge. It's still a great fight here in Britain. We'll all enjoy it. It'll sell out another stadium. We'll all have a right old time of it. And I think AJA will come through that fight. It'll be, I think it'll be a ding-dong. It'll be a much better fight than the, even though the first one was wildly entertaining. Wildly entertaining. I think it'd be even more entertaining this time around, but I think AJA will come through. Then what you have is the result of whatever happens in the second fight of Fury Wilder. AJ hopefully comes through with his fight against Dillian White. And then maybe this time next year, maybe a little bit earlier, September of next year, we get the conclusive. We get one to then two. see the undisputed championship of the world. That's yeah. how I think this might play out. I yeah. think we will see it next year. We will not see it in April. That's where I'm at. Yeah, I think the uptake at Wembley though for Pavekin was slow, and I think it'll be the same thing with Dillian White because everyone's attention will still be drawn to this Fury Wilder circus. I, I think for me, the best scenario here for Anthony Joshua. And for Eddie Hearn would be if Wilder knocks out Tyson Fury in conclusive Quick. fashion, quickly gets the job done, 
and then jumps on the mic and is like, right, that's it. Let's see who's the number one. I think that's the best case scenario. Maybe not financially, because then Eddie will be like, oh. But that will put pressure on Eddie and AJ to get the fight done, because the fans on both sides of the Atlantic will be like, right, come on. Let's not get stuck in a Mayweather Pacquiao situation here where it's mm. backwards and forwards for five years. We demand it now. And then if they, you know, oh, we're going to do Dillian White, the fans will just reject it. Or if Deontay Wilder says, well, I'm going to go and fight Jarrell Miller or something like that, the fans will reject it over there. Because as as fight fans, we're getting what we want right now. World Boxing Super Series, everything else. We're being saved up the best of the best. Mm. We will only accept the best of the best. Well, that's, you've, you've given the perfect scenario from the fans. Mm-hmm. I've given you what Eddie wants. I j- We've, we've totally forgot that there's a Tyson Fury involved in this and you know that he loves to cause havoc <laughs> yeah, exactly he will get in there on December the 1st best laid plans and he honestly. will love just pulling the rug from all of our feet and going remember me lads exactly I'm back in the game exactly and he's never lost <laughs> so why would we think that he's going to go to America and lose why would we ever doubt Tyson Fury after he, he went to Germany the way he did and no. listen Tyson can get through at this level guys can look after themselves and he can get through 12 rounds. And when you look at how raw and, you know, uncultured and wild Deontay Wilder is, you know, you've got to look at that and think Tyson Fury would just box his head off. Yeah. Absolutely. The one thing, obviously, Deontay Wilder's got is the power. freakish power yeah. that you can't really assess for. But Deont- but Tyson Fury's never been stopped. He's never been, he's never lost a fight. So that's, that's the dynamic playing into December the 1st. That's what makes it so entertaining. <laughs> how good is it? it because anything... When Tyson's involved, anything could happen. And you know what? The, the thing that you haven't thought about, that's usually what will happen as well. He'll probably knock Deontay Wilder out in one round <laughs> and shock the world again. Looking forward to it, man. Um, boxing is alive and well, no question about it, as is the heavyweight division. Hopefully, over the next 12 months, we're going to see an undisputed champion. Uh, and hopefully, it'll be one of our lads, whether it be Tyson or whether it be Anthony Joshua. Either way, I'm exactly. happy. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, you listen to Fight Night on TalkSport. Stick with us. There's plenty more to come next. I've never had a conversation with him in my life. I mean, the nearest I got was on, on the radio on Sunday with uh, Barry, which was a bit of fun. But that's, that's where we... You know, that's where we're at. Listen, this is, not, this is not rocket science. You know, Barry... I asked Barry, point blank... Point blank, and in the end, I said, if we can overcome all these obstacles, can we make the fight? And he said yes. And then he went on to say, but the terms have got to be agreed. Frank Warren speaking on TalkSport a little earlier on this week regarding the negotiations uh, between himself, Eddie Hearn, Barry Hearn, Team Matchroom, and whether they can make uh, some type of fight uh, between Anthony Joshua uh, and Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder or whoever it may be. Um, promoters, they're a funny old bunch, aren't they? <laughs> um, and I obviously, you have people that love boxing that have also the, the, the favourite shows that they like to go to. You'll have a matchroom crowd, you've got a Frank Warren crowd. Uh, and you'll always have fav- favourable arguments, one side or the other, uh, based on your bias. Now, for me... I'm just into everything. If you're putting short, <laughs> if you're putting a fight on, I'm there. If you're putting a fight on, I'm in. Yeah, um, but don't get me wrong. Over the last two years, Matchroom, Eddie Hearn, they have been the leading force when it comes to British boxing. There's no question about that. Whether it be from events, television coverage, you name it, they have been the leading force and kind of had a little bit of a monopoly uh, yeah. on boxing uh, on a whole here in here in the UK. 
But now, with new t- television deals that Frank has negotiated, fighters that Frank is being able to now sign because of the television money and revenue that he is generating from the television deal, it's starting to make it a little bit more competitive once again. And you can kind of see that when we're talking at the start of this show, that the biggest, if we just said in January, the biggest heavyweight clash this year is not going to involve Anthony Joshua. People that have laughed at us, people mm-hmm. that go, what are you talking about? Because Tyson Fury wasn't on the scene, really. He was a bit of a joke character. who was still weighing about 28 stone or whatever he was weighing. And for Frank to have, have negotiated and manipulated the situation to where we are right at this moment in time, you've got to take your hat off to him. He's, he's, he's done incredibly well over the last 12 months, really, to get himself into the situation where he's at now, where people are going, he's back in the game. Yeah. Well, he, well he was, obviously, he was never out of the game, but the difference was... But to the level where yeah. Matchroom are now playing. Well, when Matchroom got the Sky Sports deal to themselves and they became the only promoter doing boxing on Sky Sports that was you know at the time that felt like a damaging move for the sport it felt like well wait a minute gonna have no Franks on there gonna have no Ricky Hatton was promoting at the time Hatton promotions and it was it, it didn't feel like the right move for the sport ultimately it's been proved right because we're in the position we're in right now Matchroom mm. were able to build superstars they were able to take this golden generation of Olympians and, and turn them into world champions a lot of them so but be, their success in a way you know, it felt like a step backwards when it first happened, Matchroom and Sky only. But the success of that, success of Sky, the success of Matchroom and their fighters has brought so many more eyeballs back to the sport. That has brought likes of BT back involved anyway. So it's kind of it's kind of dovetailed to, to bring Frank back into the game, you know, to breathe new life into Frank Warren, who, you know, for a, for a couple of years there, had his own channel, of course, Box Nation. He was putting fights on there. He was kind of, at, at some point, it kind of like he was just keeping his head above water. But now he's back in, he's back in a big way, and he's been around this game an awful long time. Before Eddie Hearn, Barry Hearn was even involved in promoting fights, Frank Warren was promoting fights. So, mm. you know, in a lot of ways, you think the big dog's back right now, and, and, and he knows this game inside and out. You know, he, he's been there, wore the t shirt, he designed the t shirt, let's be honest with you. And, um, you know, he, he'll be looking at what Eddie Hearn's doing. The difference is, Frank never quite managed to conquer America. And that's what Eddie's kind of on the way to doing now. He's he's took that big, bold step to go, right, I've got a big American TV deal as well. I'm opening a matchroom office in mm. New York. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not just happy being, you know, being the big fish over here in the UK. I want to go and become the big fish on the on the entire planet, and that's a big bold move and a big. And I think Frank might be thinking, okay, well, if your eyes over there right now, I'm going to come back and I'm going to, and that's the reason why he's, he's signed up the fighters he is, and you know, count on now you count the top, ten, let's say the top ten champions in the UK right now. They're, they're pretty much split again. Whereas yeah, yeah. two years ago, all ten were on Matchroom. Now there's five over there and there's five over here. Mm. Um, and as well as that, from a fighter's point of view, it's good. Because it you only ever had one option, really. Yeah, to make or, any or, decent money. Over the last two to three years, if you wanted to make a living out of the game, you had one option. And if you like you, you're in. If you didn't like you, tough. Yeah. Whereas now, there is genuine viable options, and we are seeing some fantastic matchups being made by Frank. Obviously, he is working very closely with Tyson Fury. As we've mentioned, the Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder fight is absolutely massive. Not yeah. only that, though, he's working with Carl Frampton, one of my favourite fighters, and Carl's taking on a, a young book in uh, in Josh Warrington in December. World champion. Which is, again... An, Huge. It's a tremendous fight. You Christmas. look at that... It's look, Frank Warren playing Santa Claus and giving <laughs> the ultimate Christmas present. That's what it is. But what a fight that is, you know what I mean? And you, it's all right having one fighter. 
Yeah. And just being able to promote that one fighter and putting all your eggs into that one basket. But in order to be a proper player in the game, you need several in different weight categories as well. And Frank is now being able to provide that option for fighters to come and sign for him and be a viable option. And it's based on the fact that BT Sport have got back involved in it, you know. I've, I've got back involved in boxing again in a big way, and that's got to be a positive, you know. It really is a boom time for British boxing, but to to be truly successful and, to, and for fighters, at the end of the day, we love this sport. We want the fighters to make as much money as possible, and the way they make as much money as possible is that there's options in the game. You know, we don't want it like mixed martial arts where there's if you're not in the UFC, you're going to struggle to make good money. Really, mm. in boxing now, there's two real options and you know there's likes of Steve Wood who does amazing stuff as well um, but it's the TV deals you need to be on TV to make any serious money and BT Sport getting back involved with Frank Warren is a hugely significant step forward and I think the, the, the shows they put on this year have been great the end of the year in absolute style you know two of the biggest shows of the year coming in December from them mm. um, and I'm excited to see what comes in 2019 well when it comes to the super fight let, let's say Right, and we, we we mentioned about twenty minutes ago on this show that uh, Tyson, if you can't legislate for what Tyson Fury is going to do, so let's say Tyson Fury goes to America, beats Deontay Wilder once, has him a rematch, beats him twice, and therefore he is now the WBC and lineal champion of the world. Anthony Joshua's got all the other belts. Now this is where politics can really get in the way. See, from a fan's perspective, now then, who's the world number one? Because Tyson never lost the belts in the ring. Tyson beats himself outside the ring. So Tyson's got to be number one. If Tyson Fury beats Deontay Wilde on December the 1st, you can't put him You can't put him below Anthony Joshua. You've got him, put him above because he's back. The king is back. It's crazy. That's the, it's, it's incredible the heavyweight so division the position it's in right, right now. Then. So who then? So he's got the bargaining power now. Well, this Tyson's is where I was going to go. One. Who has to then take that backward step when it comes to that negotiation? Because we know it's going to happen, but... Eddie and Frank are going to get in a room. Let's say it is Tyson Fury. He's the man. And then you've got Anthony Joshua. He's the man. Somebody's going to have to take a backward step to be able to make that fight happen. They've got, they've got to. You know, but Barry's already come out and said that they, they won't accept the 50-50. It's got to be in Anthony Joshua's favour. Listen, Tyson Fury isn't selling 80,000 tickets at Wembley Stadium or Millennium Stadium, is he? He's never done that. But Tyson Fury changed this the look of this sport. He went to Germany. He ended the 10-year reign of the Klitschkos. He did that. He brought all the belts back. There was nobody left to fight at the time. He ended up, you know, he, he lost his own psychological battle, unfortunately, and, and that led him down a really dark path. But he's back now. So do we not celebrate the king is back? Do we not celebrate the fact, well, he's the world number one? He's never lost the belts in the ring. And now he's just come back and beat Deontay Wilder to get, his old, to get the WBC belt. Where do we put him now? We c- There's an argument, obviously, what Joshua was doing, he's, ch- he's bringing the new eyeballs to the sport he's bringing boxing back into the mainstream and we can't disregard that but you also can't if the, if Tyson Fury never did what he did would AJ's ascension be have been so quick no it wouldn't because Klitschko probably would have still had the belts yeah there's no I and he wouldn't th- have thrown him with Klitschko so early no. had he not lost to Tyson Fury had he not won the belts elsewhere and built up his confidence and then he go okay let's make the Klitschko fight now hmm. strange weird no. I had this conversation with Gareth A. Davis a couple of weeks ago uh, as to would Anthony Joshua be a world champion if Tyson Fury had obviously kept it, kept himself about and obviously stayed active over the last two years. And I don't even think he would have been at the point of maybe a world title shot. People w- would probably be talking about it. Of course. Right at this moment now, we'd be going, AJ's knocking, the- yeah, AJ's knocking these dudes out. Is he ready? He needs to step up. 
Very similar to how we were talking about Callum Smith last night. Yeah. You know what I mean? This young buck going through, knocking dudes out. Is he there? Is he at world level yet? We don't know. All these types of questions. And I think those questions would be around AJ if Tyson Fury would have stayed active for the last two and a half years and still been uh, the uh, unified champion. I think we would have seen already Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. Yeah. I think that would have happened because he's a fighting man, Tyson, as we've just seen. Yep. He jumped in there. He's not messing about. He's a, he'd have cracked on. And I think we may even already have an undisputed uh, champion of the world. But that's all here, sir. That didn't happen. Tyson yeah. didn't stay active for the, for two and a half years. All those belts went out into the ether. People like Anthony and uh, Joseph Parker, even Charles Martin benefited at one point, my friend. Uh, but a lot of people benefited from his demise. And the, I kind of like this narrative. I kind of like the narrative of, of of Tyson riding back into town to take what's rightfully his. I can, <laughs> do you not like that? Of I love course. that. It's very. It reminds me very much of... Something Conor McGregor would do. Yeah, you know what I mean? He's been away for a bit. You lot are only champion because I let you be champion. I'm here now. I'm yeah, ready to rock and I'm roll, back. baby. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and take the most dangerous fight in the UFC. That's what Conor's doing next weekend. Tyson Fury's doing the exact same thing. He's yeah. rolled back into town. He's gone, right, who's the most dangerous puncher? You? Right, line him up. I'll have a go at that. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> and from a fan's perspective, you've got to love that. I don't, the only thing with Tyson Fury is his is actions outside of the ring are more entertaining than his performances inside of it. Agreed. And that that's that's the problem. AJ is Mr. Entertain. AJ's quite a placid character, quite laid back. Outside of it, you know, not too much going on. He's cool, everything else, but he's not Mr. Entertainment. He's no. not going to, you know, have them rolling in the aisles at a press conference. You don't rub your hands together and say, oh, I'm going to an AJ press conference today. This is going to be brilliant. You know what you're going to get? Pretty, You know, lucky if you get a sound bite or two, but he does his business in the ring. inside the ring. That's where he entertains. That's where he comes alive. Tyson Fury's more the opposite, you know. Tyson Fury sometimes the press conferences are more more entertaining than the actual fights. Mm. Um, but he finds a way to win, you know. And whether you like it or not, from a purest point of view, you think, wow, to be able to do that, to be able to go to Germany and beat Klitschko the way you did, psychologically break him down. That's what he did. He beat Klitschko before they even got inside the ring. That takes some doing, and that's a talent in itself. And that's something you've got to appreciate a great sport from a great sportsman. As much as the knockout power, the fact that he can break a man down psychologically, get inside the ring, and make him do things he doesn't do before. Go back and watch that fight. Klitschko's all over the place. He's, he doesn't know what he's doing. And this is weird. He was champion for ten years. And inside the ring against Tyson Fury, he just forgot out of box. <laughs> it was mental. <laughs> but Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, you know, a couple of years ago, it was an impossible dream. Now you can almost touch it. And I, t- I think the pressure, if Tyson can go to America and beat Deontay twice, and you're right, you will have to beat him twice. This time next year, it could be on the fans again to say, Frank, Eddie, we don't care whether you like each other or not. We don't care whether you have done business or spoken before or whatever. We as fans were demanding it. And sometimes that can happen. Lewis Tyson eventually happened. And it was on two different network- networks. You could, in America, you could pay pay-per-view on either network. Maybe here, BT Sport and Sky Sports eventually might have to go, right, okay, we'll do pay-per-view for 1999. You do pay-per-view 1999 and let the fans decide kind of thing. But it's just got to happen, hasn't it? It's got to happen. Hope we get there. <laughs> uh, there's lots going on in the world of boxing other than uh, the negotiations <laughs> in the heavyweight division. Uh, some of it has left a little bit of uh, a sour taste in our mouths um, with the actions of Billy Joe Saunders over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to be speaking about it next. Don't go anywhere. This is Fight Night on Talk Sport. <laughs> 
the test that um, we're hearing about is he failed for some fat burner. But that fat burner is allowed to be taken. The British Boxing Board of Controls right. regulation. It's a stimulant, with, isn't it? It's a stimulant that you're allowed to use. Coffee is a stimulant. You're allowed to have coffee. This is just another stimulant. But you're not allowed to have it whilst in the ring competing in a boxing match. If that would have flagged in his test after a fight, he would have a failed test. But because it's been done in training, it's perfectly legal. We shouldn't even be reading about this. Uh, David Hayes speaking to Jim White earlier on about Billy Joe Saunders. And he makes a great point at the end. We shouldn't even have been reading about this, which then, and when I did a little bit of digging on what uh, Billy um, had irregularities in a test that he, uh, he did with VADA, the Voluntary uh, Anti-Doping Agency, when I, when I read about it all, I thought to myself, how is this in the public ether? Is there somebody in his, is, is, is there somebody in his camp that has leaked this? Is it just bad journalism? I, I can't understand why that has happened this week. It felt a little bit witch hunty, I'm going to be honest with you, with everything that he did a couple of weeks ago. And listen, we are not standing by anything that he did on social media a couple of weeks ago. And he's obviously facing the right punishments uh, from the uh, from the Boxing Board of Control. But this week, because of what happened a couple of weeks ago, it just felt that people were a little bit too eager to jump on the let's kick Billy Joe Saunders whilst he's down bandwagon. Yeah. And you know what? We're all human. And you can kind of appreciate that for a second as well. You know, even I straight away, I was like, oh, here we go. You know, it, it, when, it, when it rains, it pours. What else, what else is going to happen? But, I, you know, I was mature enough to take a backward step and go, okay, well, let me, let me read about what, what is this thing. And then, yeah. you know, when you, when you inform yourself... David Hayes, right? Why are we even reading about this? How has this been released? Why have VADA released this? I think it broke first in America. Mm. So I'm guessing VADA must have fed some information to either a journalist in the US or maybe they put out a statement about it. But if it's not in breach of British Boxing Border Control rules. It's not in breach of the governing body where he's going to be competing yeah. over in the US. I think it's Massachusetts. That's correct, yeah. Um, it's not in breach of their rules either. So why is this even being reported as news? Why is this even being released? It's crazy, absolutely bonkers, and it did feel a little bit like a kangaroo court. Like everyone just jumped on Billy Joe Saunders this week, and uh, you know he was vilified for it. And we have a problem in boxing, don't we? Because you you can totally understand <clears throat> fans, even hardcore fans. This is confusing. It's yeah. the, the whole testing for drugs in in our sport, in fight sports, is incredibly confusing. Varda, for example, their job is to it's a voluntary thing, so therefore you you can say yes or no to it as a as a fighter. There's other governing bodies like in America, the USADA, UKAD here, UKAD here. There's WADA, World Anti Doping. It gets confusing all these acronyms, but the, this is I'll try and paint some type of picture to make it. Uh, vaguely understandable. So Varda's job is to test, flag up irregularities, and make the the, the sanctioning bodies, i.e. UKAD, as you just said, aware of their findings. And then UKAD, within their rules, will distinguish whether there is a problem for that fighter to fight. Yeah. So what Billy has, has failed for uh, is oxalophilin, which... He says he got from a nasal spray. It's a stimulant. Yeah. Now, UKAD and the board in the board in Massachusetts adhere to WADA. Getting confusing. This WADA's rules are very similar to UKAD. That that stimulant cannot be used in competition. Yeah. In competition means you're in your system when you're actually competing. So twelve hours before you compete, 
12 hours after you compete. It can't be in your system during that period of time. Out of competition, it's absolutely fine. And he is out of competition. He's not fighting until the 20th mm. of October. So he's shown irregularities from the voluntary anti-doping. They flagged it up to either UKAD or WADA or the Massachusetts board. And he's not done anything wrong. So that's why I'm so confused as to why has this come out? Because I'm sure this happens all the time. Absolutely. All the time with loads of different fighters up and down the country. Why is this even news? How has it got out? And if I were Billy Joe Saunders, I'd be thinking, how has it got out? Have I got a rat in the camp? Is somebody trying to stitch me up? What's going on here? Yeah. I think, obviously, because of his actions the week before... Of course, people want to jump on it. Of course they do. And whether people have been digging around for that reason, whether people are looking to make to make more negative headlines about him, because, you know, it, it, that went viral. What he did went viral. It, it crossed over from boxing. It, it was disgusting. Mainstream and, it was disgusting. and he deserved everything he got, and he got off the back of that. For yeah. it and he should have been. And I think he got away with a bit of a punishment, to be honest. I think he should have got more of a punishment. Yes, absolutely. Um, but... Because he's in the negative headlines, it's like, right, okay, what else is out there? And I think maybe someone's done a little bit of it, snooping around, and they've gone, oh, that's flagged. Is that a failed test? He shouldn't have done this system. He can't, he can't box when and have that in your system. Mm. Sloppy journalism. Absolutely. It's that's not a failed test. No. He's shown irregularities for this particular thing, of which has been flagged up to yep. UKAD, he's been flagged up to WADA, and both of them have gone, well, he hasn't broke our rules. Yeah. So he's, he can crack on he's there. perfectly fine. He's free to fight, no problem whatsoever. The problem is... Mud sticks. Yep. Done it. So therefore, although he hasn't done anything wrong on this incident, with what happened a couple of weeks previous, a lot of people might not have done the digging that we've done. A lot of people might not have read the actual full story. They've gone with a headline, the sensationalist headline of certain respected journalists that they've put out on social media. And therefore, their minds are made up. Oh, Billy Joe Saunders picks on vulnerable members of our society. He's a drug cheat. Yeah. Only half of that's true. Of course. You know? And he's got a fight coming up against Andrade. He's not doing himself any favours when it comes to making fans, making friends, creating a following in this sport, is he? And he should be because he's blooming good. He's really good at this sport. And we all should be celebrating how good this fella is rather than thinking to ourselves, he's a bit of a tool. I don't really like him. Yeah. But if you remember, the same thing kind of happened to Tyson Fury when he became a world champion as well. When Tyson Fury beat Klitschko, he came back and... You know, there was that whole smear campaign about personality of the year and everything else. And then it was like, next thing you know, people are putting microphones in his face, asking him how he feels about religion and, yeah. you know, abortion and all this kind of stuff. And you just thought, wait a minute, just he's a sportsman. Just let him be a sportsman. Talk to but him about sport. Once you got him, once the, he generated those headlines, it was like this whole outpouring of negativity towards Tyson Fury. Kind of the same thing, but on a much smaller scale, if you like, has happened with Billy Joe Saunders. We've seen think- something that's disgusted us. We've seen something. Yeah. that makes us all want to label him you know a, a, a bit of a low life in society and it's like oh and now he's a drug cheat as well forget about the details forget about the facts forget about the real information the headline enough it was fa- what he had something in the system well yeah that 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 paints the right picture that's who he is yeah he's that type of person mm. and you know what he isn't that type of person people who know him people have been around him i've been around billy joe absolutely lovely lad super pleasant really nice to be around proper boxing man proper fighting man you know, and mm. if go back twelve months, go back six months when we were saying, give him a chance, let him fight Canelo, let him fight Triple G, let Billy Joe prove that he could be the best middleweight on the planet. After that performance against Lamo, where he did the the whole looking into the bleachers thing, and it went viral, his stock was so high then, and now you feel like he would struggle to sell out. He would struggle to sell out the local labour club. It's been a bad year oh. for him, 
hasn't it? I mean, he's pulled out two fights with Martin Murray. He's obviously chased the Canelo and Triple G fight and it hasn't come off. His reign as the WBO middleweight champion of the world has been... It flatters to deceive. I mean, the performance that he put in against Andy Lee to become champion. You know this. I've been there. And I said, this is the guy. Billy Joe Saunders is the guy. He's going to take Triple G's mantle. He's going to take Canelo's mantle. He'll, he'll run Canelo close. He's the boy from our country to be able to do that. No question about it. And then he doesn't fight for a year. And then he fights a load of bums. Then he goes and fights Lemieux. And you think to yourself, oh, he's back. He's back. Yeah. Look at that. Absolutely outstanding. This is what I was telling you two years ago. Look at how good he is. He's absolutely tremendous. And then he follows it up with another dud year. Mm. Pulls out of two fights with Martin Murray because he's chasing a Canelo Triple G fight. You can't blame him for that, but it doesn't look good now that he no. didn't necessarily get that fight. I think I think in hindsight there, if he'd have just been honest with us yeah. and, and honest with Martin Murray. So, lads, I'm after this. Yeah, I spoke to Martin Murray about it and he said, I get it. You know, if he'd have rang me and said, listen, Martin, I've signed for the fight, but you know the situation. Golovkin Canelo might be called off at any moment. They still haven't made it. I'm waiting for the phone to ring. And if it does ring, I'm, I'm going. going that way. And Martin Murray was like, I'd have been cool with that because I'd, I'd have done exactly the same thing. It was the fact that he didn't do that. The fact that Martin Murray did an entire fight yeah, camp. He blagged an injury. And Billy Joe Saunders wasn't even in camp. He just blagged an injury about it. So he's had the kind of year where it's, you know, I think only his family members are proud of him right now. Nobody else in the country is. From a fan's perspective, you know, when I, when I first seen that viral video a couple of weeks ago, I just thought, I want you to lose. And how wrong is that? I'm a, I'm a British fight fan at my core, and I wanted a British world champion to lose because of that video. Mm. Sad. Sad that we're in this but position with him. But the video, he brought it on himself. It was wrong, bang out of order, and he's getting all the jip in the world for it, and rightfully so. But this, this week, off the back of that, people have just been a little bit too hasty to jump to conclusions as to what has happened. He hasn't failed a test. No, he has He's not. flagged up irregularities and he hasn't done anything wrong out of competition. He's got a fight with Demetrius Andrade, uh, which is live and exclusive on TalkSport on the 20th of October. And there will be... It's a- not off. He isn't getting stripped, regardless of what some so-called journalists <laughs> have been saying. <laughs> crazy mm. but it is live on uh, on TalkSport and come and join us for that but I, I fear that the majority of fans will be listening tu- <laughs> listening will be tuning in thinking to yourself come on Demetrius Andrade which is yeah. a shame really because Billy's a phenomenal talent yeah. phenomenal talent he is um, anyway I've no doubt there'll be more on the Billy Joe Saunders saga I hope not yeah I hope not either <laughs> over the next few weeks Bill, or so just just train keep your head get down get in the gym and just box mate that's it, that's it. Take your, turn all your phones off throw them away mm. just do what you do best and that's box uh, you are listening to Fight Night on TalkSport. We're going to celebrate um, Jimmy Moore uh, next because uh, he's just been named Trainer of the Year. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want Salon Perfect Nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. You listen to Fight Night on TalkSport with me, Adam Catterall. Nick Pete alongside me. Uh, lots to talk about in the fight game. Uh, last night we, of course, had live and exclusive commentary from Jeddah of uh, Callum Smith becoming the new super middleweight WBA world champion beating George Groves in emphatic fashion we spoke about that earlier on in the show uh, if you've missed it if you've only just tuned in it will be available as a podcast for you straight after we'll upload it to our website and iTunes uh, fight night will be there for you from uh, the TalkSport family so make sure you're all over it okay uh, now then let's move on to uh, um, something else that happened last night uh, the British Boxing Board of Control Awards and we must pay homage to a man that uh, was crowned Trainer of the Year. And let's be honest, he was up against some stiff uh, competition, was Jamie Moore. Obviously, Jamie's been on this show on many occasions, presenting it alongside us. Uh, and he's had a fantastic 12 months. Anybody that spends any time in Jamie's uh, company ends up feeling like Rocky Balboa. He's such an inspiring uh, character. Uh, he looks after Carl Frampton, who's had a phenomenal year himself. I think everybody will agree that the performance that Tommy Coyle put in in Liverpool on the Amir Khan undercard was absolutely sensational career best performance. Rocky Field, he went to Germany and beat Tyron Zuiger to become the regular world champion. He's obviously looking after Martin Murray as well and various others who have done wonderful things this year. It's been a great year, hasn't it, for the boys at the VIP gym. And we must pay homage as well to Nigel Travis, his right-hand man. Absolutely. I'm sure this uh, in that gym, they'll all be calling it a team award. But Jamie is the mastermind and he is slowly becoming one of the most sought-after trainers in the world. Yeah, he's... Um... I love being around Jamie. He's the type of person that, you know, if you could, you'd want him waking you up every morning. <laughs> come on, come on, Nick, wake up. It's time to start your day. Time for school. Here's a little bit of positivity for you. <laughs> you know, he's just one of those people. He's, he's a pleasure to be around and, you know, spending time with him in the studio for the show, as, as we have done, uh, just getting to pick his brain. You know, he, he leaves no st- stone unturned. And unlike a lot of boxing trainers, he really, he, he, not only does he build a relationship with his fighters, but... It's the psychological aspect of the sport that he doesn't overlook. You know, I think a lot of trainers these days are just that. They're trainers. They're great at holding pads. They're quite technical, whatever else, but they're not necessarily teachers. And I think Jamie Moore's a teacher. You know, he doesn't just leave it in the gym. It's not just there. It's about getting your mind right psychologically for what's going to come. It's mm. about switching you on in a dressing room, having the ability to keep you relaxed, but have you zero focused at the very right time. It's about saying the exact right things between rounds. That's what he's really good at. I think, yes, he's very young. You know, he's not even 40 yet. And so his, his, his career... Is, has really only just begun mm. and yet the ironic thing is two years ago he was going to jack it all in he was going to walk away from boxing and now he's got you know one of the healthiest stables in the UK he's just been crowned uh, trainer of the year of course and 
it couldn't look any more golden for him. The future looks mm. sensational. What could possibly come next? Well, most of the stable are, are either current world champions, former world champions, or about to become world champions. Mm. Incredible position. There's a, a fantastic documentary called The Return of the Jackal, which is all about Carl Frampton um, at Windsor Park. And there's a moment in there and you, you just reminded me of it then when you're talking about it's not necessarily what he's doing on the pads or in the ring or anything like that. There's a moment there where Carl Frampton is driving to either the press conference or the weigh-in. Mm-hmm. Jamie's obviously in his car and he gets a flat tyre. Gets a, Carl Frampton gets a flat tyre. And Jamie immediately took control of the situation, jumps out the car, he said, you sit there, mate, get on your phone, have a bit of a chill, I'll change this. And the interview him about it afterwards... And he says, he's got the biggest fight of his uh, life at the weekend. I don't want him stressed out. I don't want him thinking this. I don't want him thinking that. That's for me to do. I do his stress. And just that moment, I thought to myself, he's thought of absolutely everything. Because let's be honest, if me and you were in a car and and you were driving... And your and your car broke down. I'd be I'd be sat there in the car going, "Get out! It's your car, mate. You go and fix it." <laughs> That's what the majority of us would have done, wouldn't they? Yeah. But Jamie Moore took control of that situation and just appreciates the psycho the psychology of this very lonely sport that uh, we all enjoy. And obviously, these guys go through on a week by week basis. And I think you know one thing you shouldn't really overlook there as well is the fact that he's coming into this. With fresh in his mind, his own career. He's been there. He's been in the dressing rooms and title fights. He's won big fights and he's lost big fights. Former British champion. In fact, I think he was former boxer of the year. I think he's the first to do it. First to win British boxing uh, border control boxer of the year and then trainer of the year wow. for the same person, which is a phenomenal feat. But I think having fought at the highest level, having experienced that, and because he is a bit of a deep thinker, Jamie. He's brought that relation. He's brought that experience with him, and now he's able to afford that on the lads. He's able to afford that on his fighters to say, "Well, this is how it works." This I remember being there, and I remember thinking, "Oh God, I had a flat tire. I forgot about the fight doing this." Mm. He's able to to tune that in and say, "Right, okay, this is how we're going to deal with the situation." You know, he's he's incredible about spitching people on. He talks about the secret, of course. A lot of fighters read the secret, and it's all about self belief and self confidence, and and reaffirming yourself as a champion, walking, talking, and acting like a champion long before you are a champion and Jamie's a big advocate of that and I think a lot of the fighters you know yes he's got great fighters there you know Carl Frampton was a great fighter before he went to Jamie Moore Martin Murray was a world title contender before he went with Jamie Moore Rocky Fielding was on his way to becoming a world title contender before he'd gone to Jamie Moore but bringing them all together under that roof with Jamie and as you say with Nigel who plays a huge role there as well look at Tommy Coyle yeah. Tommy Coyle's career was going absolutely nowhere and yet these other people coming into the into into the gym, you know, Carl Frampton speaking to Tommy Coyle after a sparring session, saying you could be a world champion if you if you fought the way you spar, and and giving Tommy Coyle that sense of belief. Wait a minute, Jamie's been saying this for ages, but now Carl Frampton's saying it to mm. me as well. Suddenly, he produces the performance of his life, and it was like last night with Callum Smith and George Groves. Timing is everything, and timing and situations out of everyone's control has allowed Jamie Moore to put this stable together and it's like getting lightning in a bottle. And right now, you know, you could argue there's no better gym in the country. There's no better vibe in the country. It must be an absolute pleasure to train there and they're seeing the, absolutely reaping the rewards with the results. And we've got a, a couple of cracking fights for boys that are in that uh, uh, stable coming up. Obviously, next weekend, it's Catterall versus Davis. No, not Adam Catterall against Gareth A. Davis. Your lad, isn't it? Yeah, it is Jack Catterall. <laughs> 
against O'Hara Davis. It's a phenomenal fight. Obviously, Jamie looks after be fun. Uh, Jack Catterall. I think it will be fun. It's in Leicester, that one. It should be an absolute cracker. And of course, uh, you will have seen the press conferences uh, over the last couple of weeks of uh, Frampton Warrington for the IBF strap. Um, Carl Frampton, obviously, ambitions again of becoming uh, uh, a world champion once again, but he's got he's got a tough task on his hands because Josh just... Warrington, I'd tell you something, his performance against Lee Selby in front of his home fans in Leeds uh, was absolutely sensational. This one taking place uh, just before Christmas, December 22nd uh, in Manchester should be good, and we'll preview that as we build uh, a little closer. Just a little bit of a mention on those awards last night, by the way. Uh, best overseas fighter uh, to disappoint you because I know you're a big fan of uh, Morris Mo Hooker, Hooker. Mm. Uh, um, but to disappoint you uh, and then obviously pick you back up again because the winner of that was Katie Taylor. So well yeah, done to her. Can't argue with that, can you? What an unbelievable wow. year what she's had. Exactly. Yeah. Unbelievable Pl- year. Picking up world titles for fun, Katie Taylor. Mm. Uh, so Katie Taylor was the overseas uh, fighter of the year. Uh, and uh, the British fighter of the year was Josh Taylor again, oh, another yeah. kid that has been absolutely sensational, and he's back in action. Hopefully, uh, picking up world honours through the World Boxing Super Series over the next nine months. Yeah, it's going to be hard to deny Josh. I, th- I fancy Josh to win the World Boxing Super Series as well when it get- when it kicks off in a couple of weeks' time. And I think with the fan base he's got up in Scotland, roaring them on, you know, he- he's he's bringing he's bringing big time boxing back to back to Bonnie Scotland. And you know, the the fans up there absolutely love it. They've just done a incredible. They've just had a lovely little journey with Ricky Burns, who, who who surprised us all by becoming a multiple time world champion. Three weight, mate. And yeah. I, think, I think now that you know Ricky Burns is at the tail end of his career, and I think Josh Taylor could well ride that fan bandwagon into the sunset. And I think he'll become a multiple time world champion as well. The Titan Tornado. He's got the nickname to boot and he's absolute nails. Last time me and uh, Nick interviewed him, he told us a story about uh, breaking his jaw. He broke his jaw <laughs> because his, uh, his cousin, female cousin, hit him in the face with a golf club. I was obviously devastated thinking, flipping heck, mate, that's, that's horrendous. And the only thing that Josh Taylor could tell me was, I didn't go down. <laughs> See, that's a fighter's mentality, that, yeah. isn't it? I got hit in the face with a golf club, but I didn't go down. <laughs> That's his celebration. I've got a shattered jaw. It's broken in about 20 places. Nah, mate, it didn't go down. Nails me. That should send any message to any prospective opponent. Yeah, exactly, that, yeah. You're going to absolutely have to nail this kid yeah. uh, in order to uh, put him on his backside. He's a phenomenal talent. He's not just tough. He is a phenomenal talent. We obviously uh, first saw him. Well, I first saw him. I don't know about you, Nick. I first saw him at the Commonwealth Games, and I thought he were absolutely tremendous there. Yeah. And for him to make the decision to obviously work with Shane McGuigan and Barry McGuigan and the rise that they have enabled him to get, get to and we've enjoyed him because he's been on free to air television quite a lot and then he's built up a lovely reputation I think we just mentioned O'Hara Davis's name there the fight that he had with O'Hara Davis he really then did shoot into the living rooms of quite a lot of people and people got excited about this this Scottish phenomenon and then to have the brevity to be able to go right I'm going in the World Boxing Super Series with all these other killers and I'm going to sort all them out over the next nine months that from a fan's point of view we love fighting talk, don't we? And we love somebody that talks the talk and then backs it up and goes and walks the walk. Absolutely. And that's exactly what he's done as a pro. And he's done it in, in, in quick succession as well. Again, it comes back to this Anthony Joshua thing, this Lomachenko thing. It's like the guys aren't waiting around anymore. We're not having to wait for them to have 30 fights to be have a real test. And funny thing about Josh Taylor is I remember him before the Commonwealth Games. I remember he came to Liverpool and boxed in an Olympic uh, a qualifier to go to an Olympic qualifying it was a box off against Tom Stoker and he got beat that night he got outboxed by Tom Stoker and he was in absolute floods of tears backstage uncontrollable because his, his dream of going to that Olympic game or going to that Olympic qualifier was taken away from him and, and to see him that night and the journey he's been on since 
you know, I'd love to sit down with him and ask him, did that night make you? Did was that, that make, Was that yeah. the moment where you thought, you know what, I'm never going to lose again. I'm, I'm going to work even harder. I'm going to do it even better. As you say, after that, he won, goes and wins Commonwealth gold medal and then turns pro and... And as a professional, you know, he's just come on so quickly with, with Shane McGuigan. You know, he's an absolute super talent. And, and right now you can't deny the fact that he looks like a world title, a world, a world champion in waiting. Mm. Um, plenty to come on uh, Fight Night here on TalkSport. We're going to the Hall of Fame next. And I think it's a quite obvious inductee. <laughs> Hall of Fame. Each week here on Fight Night, we induct someone, something, anything connected to the world of fight sports uh, into our very unique Hall of Fame. And it is unique. We do celebrate individual fighters. We celebrate fights. We celebrate fans that go to fights, referees, you name it, we celebrate it. Uh, and this week is a little bit more of a poignant one rather than uh, all out fun and laughter. Uh, even though this particular character was all out fun and laughter when he was with us. Um, yesterday, Friday that being, if you listen to this on the podcast, it was the funeral of, of uh, Enzo Calzaghi uh, in, uh, in Cardiff, um, who sadly passed away uh, 10 days ago um, after suffering short illness and sadly leaving us, uh, like I said, 10, day, 10 days previous. But yesterday was the celebration of his life at his funeral and I just wanted to stick him into uh, our Hall of Fame today and pay our own little tribute because of the amount of joy that he brought to me as a boxing fan. Maybe not directly, but through his work with the fighters that I absolutely fell for, one of which being his son. It must have been an incredible feeling for Enzo uh, to conquer the world as a trainer, but then to be able to do that with your lad must have... That feeling must have just been timed by 10 when Joe conquers the world and becomes the Ring Magazine uh, number one super middleweight on the planet. It's mental looking at Enzo and the journey he was on. You know, he, he, he travelled to Wales, or he emigrated to Wales, I should say, in the 70s from Sardinia. A musician, you know, settled in Wales, raised his family there. Joe wanted to get into boxing, so he set up his own, his, the boxing club, the Newbridge Boxing Club, now mm. the, the infamous... Um, little dressing room on the corner of a, a rugby shack, pitch a in the middle of nowhere and you know it wasn't only Joe it was you know Nathan Cleverley was through the doors Gavin Reese, Enzo Macronelli you know he, he had a phenomenal stable and, and he taught himself how to how to be a coach how to be a boxing coach so he could go on this journey with Joe and Joe was 46 fights unbeaten as you say Ring Magazine WBO world champion beating everybody incredible nights at Manchester Arena up and down the country in Cardiff of course just phenomenal and for someone to do that with no boxing with no real boxing experience when he first touched down in Wales to, to kind of turn his hand to it like that just shows how much of a genius he was you mm. know and not only that, he was a pleasure to be around as well. He was such a fun personality. I don't ever remember going to a show when Enzo was there when he didn't have a smile on his face. Well, maybe that smile was was on hold during the ring walk and when Joe was actually fighting, that's when he was serious. But away from that, he always had a big smile on his face. He was always 
absolutely lovely. I was lucky enough to interview him a handful of times, and he was an absolute pleasure and just a, a fun person in the sport and a real character. Yeah, you know. And sometimes it, it it's the characters that that you miss most. You know, I think that's what's hit us all hardest is that it happens so quickly. And you know you've got to feel obviously for Joe and the rest of the family now because they were such a tight family unit. And you know we're seeing scenes yesterday. We you know we with Spencer Oliver yesterday. He comes straight from the funeral when we spoke to him, and you know he he was saying how heartfelt it was and how personal it was and everything else. And a little bit of me is like, well, why didn't Wales turn out? Why didn't the UK turn out? Why weren't we lining the streets for him? Because what he achieved there should mm. not be overlooked. Yeah. We've, we've just been speaking about, uh, obviously, Jamie Moore um, picking up trainer of the year at the uh, uh, British Boxing Board of Control Awards last night. But the f- the first man with British connections to be named the Ring Magazine trainer of the year. And they are obviously well-renowned as the Bible of boxing. And they've been going for years and years and years and years and years. And the first guy with British connections to, to claim that mantle was Enzo Calzaghe for the phenomenal things that he did with you. And we mustn't forget the other things that he managed to achieve uh, with other fighters because, yeah, it's all right doing it with your lad because you know your lad inside out and you know his tendency. You've known him since, since his first day on the planet. But then to be able to obviously maintain his levels and obviously Joe remained undefeated to the point of retirement, but to take Gavin Reese to, to world honours, to take Enzo Macronelli to world honours. That period of time when he had Joe, Gavin Reese, and Enzo Macronelli, all as world champions, out of his little shack. And for those that have never seen this gym, it is a tiny little, it is literally a shed. It's like an old changing room. It's yeah. crazy. For him to be able to achieve that, and as you've just said there, with no like grounding in boxing, self-taught, is phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. And we're not talking about guys that went and just fought puddings for the world championships. We're talking about guys that took on the very, very best. That night against Jeff Lacey for Joe Calzaghe in Manchester in the early hours of the morning will go down as one of the greatest moments of all time in British boxing. Yeah, still one of my fondest memories as well. Four o'clock in the morning inside the Manchester Arena. It was absolutely freezing there that night. But, you know, um, and the American, the big bad American was coming over here to teach Joe Calzaghe a lesson. And Joe absolutely schooled him. Every round. Absolutely every schooled round. Him. I mean, busted him up every which way but Friday. And, and that was the, you know, in a lot of ways, Joe's success, that's the genius of Enzo. That's what Enzo was able to do. He, yes, yes, Joe had the talent, but Enzo had the, the skills and the ability as a coach to nurture that raw talent and put it in that direction. He put that game plan together. You know, you just mentioned some of his champions there. Throw in Bradley Price and Gary Lockett and people like that as well. All guys that won multiple belts out of this little shed in, in Newbridge in Wales, just some small village in Wales. Mm. Absolutely incredible what was going on there. And again, we talked earlier about Jamie Moore and the gym now having lightning in a bottle. Absolutely, Enzo Calzaghe had lightning in a bottle. Jordan that time, Jordan knows heydays of that gym. Jordan, the, the the peak of Joe's powers. Who would have known that a, a former musician would be able to coach the best super middleweight on the planet and more? Phenomenal. But that's again, I come back to using this word. That was the genius of Enzo Calzaghe. And it is it is genius. And we another legends and genius and that, those types of words gets banded around uh, quite a lot. And hopefully we're painting a. a, a a solid picture of uh, of Enzo. I don't even think any of our words will be able to tell you everything about Enzo Calzaghe because he was a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal character. But we mentioned earlier on the very best coaches 
the teachers, the people that are constantly learning themselves. They have these different types of, uh, of techniques and tactics. We were very fortunate this week to spend a lot of time with Vasil Lomachenko and to speak to him about his relationship with his father and boxing, the way that his dad trains him, obviously sent him off to ballet, sent him off to gymnastics, has these unique uh, training methods in order to make him a more rounded human being and more rounded character and then also to be able to instill belief into him as a fighter through other methods not just going in the ring and beating somebody up it's not about that no. it's about life skills and being able to do that and I think that we obviously if you're a parent listening to this you'll know that you've got a unique bond with your son or your daughter and therefore you hope to be able to coach them in life to be able to do those types of things but to be able to do it in elite sport when you when you don't have the ground in yourself just by using these other methods to bring into sport i think he's absolutely out, outstanding really outstanding and, he, and we should be celebrating it and going crazy about it yeah it, it really is we've you know boxing lost one of the good guys this week it lost one of it one of the two characters and one of the one of the winners you know an absolute winner and that's what that's what he was through joe and through the rest of the lads enzo calzaghi was a winner and you know, at a time when British boxing was was struggling, you know, the super middleweight division, you know, I'd had its go like its golden era. Joe just emerged and and put us back on the map and put UK boxing back on the map. It was a a phenomenal journey to be on. And you know, it, it's I keep coming back to the fact that he, he he come into this as a musician. You know, it, it's not like he had all these years of boxing training behind him. It's not like he was, or he was a boxer himself. Yeah, it's like Lomachenko's dad is is the Ukrainian national team boxing coach. You know, he had a son, and pretty much from the day he was born, that was son gonna was going to be a boxer. He was going to yeah. be a fighter. Enzo, when when Joe was born, you know, and, and the rest of us, you know, his family, Enzo may have thought, well, he might be a musician like me. For, but he nurtured what Joe wanted to be, and he, just, you know, he did the one thing every dad wants to do. He changed his outlook. He changed his lifestyle. He, he built everything around his son. His son became his priority. Joe wanted to be a boxer. Well, I'm going to be his. Bo- I'm going to be his trainer. And wow, did they did they make success there? They conquered the world. Forty six and all when he caught when he caught that day. And our uh, thoughts uh, with the Calzaghi family at this extremely sad time. Boxing uh, has lost one of the good guys. Uh, we mentioned Vasil Lomachenko's name there um, because we spent a bit of time with him this week and he's one of our favourite uh, fighters on the planet. So I think it's only fair that, one, you get to hear a little bit from him and, two, we get to talk about him a little bit more because we fancy him. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Uh, you're listening to Fight Night on Talk Sport. Uh, you listen to Fight Night on Talk Sports. Obviously, all the action from our point of view, the live action, was last night in Jeddah where Callum Smith beat George Groves uh, and became the super middleweight champion. Speaking of super middleweights, there's a little bit of action uh, going on uh, in the States still to come uh, this weekend. It's a little bit of a weird one, this, and it's a, it's a hard card to speak about because the main event has dropped off uh, because Victor Ortiz, you will have seen this, obviously, on various uh, feeds this week, Victor Ortiz has been charged with three counts of sexual assault and therefore he was supposed to be fighting in the main event against John Molina. That fight has now uh, been cancelled and rightfully so, but the undercard does still go ahead and that undercard involves a couple of British lads. Um, Joe Joyce, the Mexican heavyweight, loves a Mexican, sombrero, <laughs> those big Joe. Uh, he's in action uh, over in the States and this is part of his new uh, training camp and management deal that he's got over there obviously he's teamed up with the likes of Al Heyman and he's uh, training out of 
the same camp as Triple G's mates with Triple G up in Big Bird. It's a really bizarre mm. little uh, thing that's going on with Joe Joyce. And to be to be fair, Joe Joyce is a heavyweight. I can't. I haven't figured him out yet. I no. haven't figured out where he is at this moment in time. Obviously, he isn't the spring chicken. We saw him in the uh, Olympics doing what he was doing. He does this weird thing after every uh, victory where he does a somersault in the ring. It's, uh, it looks a bit odd for a big fella to do all that type of stuff. But he keeps knocking dudes out. He keeps stopping them. Uh, and I'm I'm kind of looking forward to see what the next 12 months has for Joe Joyce because I can imagine him being involved in some top fights with some more familiar names in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, it's five fights, five knockouts. You know, what more can you ask? But we haven't really got had a chance to appreciate him. Um, because he's he's a little bit all over the place. He fights, you know, obviously in in California tonight on a on a strange undercard against a guy no one's really heard of. Um, and when you look at the guy's record, he's he's really you know I think the guy's had thirty fights, Kaladzi, but he's not really been in with anybody. Michael Hunter's probably the only one of note who's a half decent American prospect. Um, so I don't know what we're going to learn from Joe Joyce here. Obviously, we've seen him fight Lenroy Thomas um, in earlier this year, winning the Commonwealth belt. Um, obviously smashed them to bits inside two rounds and I think there's some total at the moment I think he went eight eight, eight rounds on his debut Joe but since then he's, he's, all his fights have lasted one or two rounds so yeah. you're right it is weird this whole Mexican thing that he's got going on he's you know it, David Hay being in his corner for for the last couple of fights for me didn't really do him any favours because David Hay likes the limelight a little bit too much. So we still haven't really got to know Joe Joyce is. He's not really had the chance to rock the mic too well. He's kind of come off looking a little bit silly. I think this is a great move for him going over to the US and being based at Big Bear and you know building his career over there. It's not a, but kind of like James DeGale when he comes back here we still won't know who he is will he be able to sell a ticket he's on a very strange journey Um, all he can do is keep putting them over don't get me wrong all he can do is is keep knocking them out but I, I don't know I'm like you. He's like he's like an enigma at the moment, wrapped up in a in a, in a puzzle. Mm. You know what? Who is Joe Joyce, and what's he going to do? And you know he hasn't got time to wait around. He's thirty three. Mm. And you mentioned obviously James DeGale's name there because he's in action as well. And the James DeGale thing is a little bit weird uh, as well. Yeah, <laughs> this is weird. Uh, so <clears throat> everybody knows that James had a fantastic war uh, with Badu Jack. Uh, draw keeps his belts. But then he ends up getting into a fight with Caleb Truex, and he lost that fight. Yeah, uh, the first one he went back over to the states to regain his belt, so he becomes the IBF super. And don't forget the Truex thing again. was a voluntary. Yeah, and he had to choose someone from the top fifteen, and he chose the f- number fifteen ranked Cable Truex for the world title defense of his IBF belt. They fought at the Copper Box. Um, what was last year, wasn't it? Last yeah, yeah, September. Yeah. He loses the belt. They rematch over in Las Vegas. Um, in April, he wins the belt back. Yeah, but then he decides to give up that belt yes. to go on the journey he's on now. So he has then relinquished the IBF version of the super middleweight crown. Now there was a mandatory connected to that, and mm. we mentioned uh, Jose category on uh, on a few occasions on this show. He's a ferocious puncher, and he's a ferocious talent. And if you're James DeGale at the stage of the career that you're at, at this moment in time. I suppose you are looking for the biggest of fights. Yeah, with uh, the most money. With the most amounts of money. Because, you know, listen, it's not that James DeGale's scared of fighting anybody. No. We're not saying that. But us, Katagui is captain of the Who Needs Him Club. It's high risk, very low, very reward. low reward. So exactly. there's no point. There's absolutely no point in him doing that. So therefore, in order to 
get away from that, he added he either needed to um, unify his belt with another champion, i.e. George Groves, mm. or then step away from his own belt and take a different path. Now, with George Groves being at that time connected to the World Boxing Super Series, that fight could not necessarily be made in the allotted time. James relinquishes his belt and steps away. So he's no longer a world champion. Even though he hasn't wow. lost a belt in the ring, he's no longer a world champion. All right. Now, randomly, those category was due to fight Caleb Plant, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this evening yeah. um, for that vacant belt. Caleb Plant has pulled out through injury. His category is still fighting, and I've no doubt at some point that fight will be made for the IBF strap. Um, James DeGale, ironically, is in action the same weekend that George Groves and Callum Smith are in action. So he's having a little bit of a tune-up over in the States tonight. It's happening so early on the undercard that the TV broadcast will miss it. So you might not even see this uh, in the early hours wow. uh, of the morning. But the where James DeGale's at right at this moment in time is, I, again, I don't know the answers because I imagine that he's relinquished this belt in order to chase a big money, big blockbuster fight. Those big blockbuster fights are here in the UK. Mm-hmm. They're against the guy that's just won the World Boxing Super Series in Callum Smith. They're against yeah. his old adversary in George Groves. Um, and he's over in the States having a little bit of a tune. And that's fine as long as what we're hearing is true for December, that he's coming back here to have a little bit of a knock with uh, Chris Eubank Jr. Yeah. Because that's the fight that he's chasing, which would make a, a ton of money. There's no belt on the line, obviously, for that. Well, the IBO, who's got the IBO belt? They usually throw a belt in a direction. Like I said, Eubank, there's no they? belt on the line for it. <laughs> An IBO belt, that wouldn't surprise me at all. But you're right. Why is James DeGale fighting in Ontario, California, tonight on before the TV card even starts, against a guy that's lost 18 fights. When he's... He's just won up. his belt. His last fight, he won... He won back his world won title. his belt. So I don't get it. He's give up his world title to fight in a six or eight rounder against a, basically a, a club fighter or club, club fighters in America, but a journeyman is what we would say. When Eubank has just been on pay-per-view last night, winning against, again, a substandard, substandard opponent, but... Yeah. Why did the girl not go, well, tell you what, put me on the undercard of that and I'll fight, put me and Eubank on the undercard and it sets up something for us in December. Very strange, but then James DeGale, kind of like Joe Joyce, has been on a very strange journey throughout his boxing career. Mm. Very strange. We, as, as British fight fans, since he won his gold medal, we've struggled to really relate with him or even adhere to him or, or really build a following behind him because he's been jumping from one side of the Atlantic to the other. His best successes have been on the road. He's enjoyed his best best moments over in America. Um, I think when he comes back, if he's going to come back in December to fight Eubank Junior, it, it's just going to it's going to be weird, isn't it? It's going to be a weird scenario where it's yeah. like there's no belt on the line. Yeah, you give just, up your world title to yeah. to fight Eubank Junior. I get it because it's about money, but if he'd have kept his world title, I, I don't know. It, it's a it's a weird situation because the I, the other IBF fighters fell off. So now you kind of go, well, James, you give it up for nothing. You could have still had it. It's weird. I feel for him a little bit. I feel for James because I don't know whether he's had the right. This is the this, this is the boxing gear business, isn't it? Yeah, this is this is something that we, it's easy to look over because successes and the, the 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 margins between success and failure are so small. But I'm not saying for a second James the Gale's had a failure of a career. But where would James the Gale be if from day one, let's say he'd had an affinity with say Eddie Hearn? Imagine if James was as close to Eddie Hearn as say Tony Bellew is with the talent James had. Where would 
potentially where James be now. I know it's slightly different again because it's all about living the life as well. And James notoriously doesn't live the kind of boxer's clean life that you would that you would you know lament to a, a long, extensive, successful career. Mm. But I, I always feel like he's had one foot in America and one foot in the UK, and it just unlike Amir Khan, who absolutely it worked, it's worked for Amir. It just doesn't seem to have worked for James De Gale. He just doesn't seem to have caught the right rhythm if you like mm. you know it, it's always like yes he's a world champion yes he's British and yes on his day he's brilliant but also he can be absolutely boring you know and also he can go to sleep in fights and also he's not really had the coverage over here that maybe he deserves because he's been halfway over there as well mm. it's a strange career that he's had James and it's such a it's such a shame because when it when it comes down to just pure talents he's phenomenal and you know, outside of he's the first, don't forget he's the first Great Britain representative to win a gold medal at the Olympics to go on and win a world title. Yeah, no one can ever take that away from him. Did it before anybody else. He's in action in the early hours of the morning. I've no doubt uh, you'll have all the fallout uh, of that on various uh, news uh, outlets here on Talksport throughout the course of tomorrow. Uh, we are talking mixed martial arts next. Gareth A. Davis is out in the states. It's a big night for Bellator. There's a big week ahead uh, for Conor McGregor. All that action coming up next here on Talksport. Um, this music is normally associated with Cultural Corner on this show. However, the only bit of culture that's ever on the show is Gareth A. Davis. And when he's not here, we take it down to the sewers. And when he comes back onto the show, we like to uh, bring up the highbrow nature of our uh, multi-award winning talents. And he's on the show right now. Mr. Ray Davis, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I do hear, do, you did make me giggle when I heard that music because I thought, oh no, have I got to wax lyrical again? <laughs> uh, for those that don't know, Gareth's out in the States. There's a major uh, Bellator event taking place tonight, which we're all dead excited about. And I'll tell you why we're excited about it, Gareth. Because in the yeah. UK, we can watch it on TV, Yay! mate. <laughs> I know. And, and, and not only that, Adam, Nick, um, not, not only that, it's free and it's on Channel 5. Yes. You know, and I think that's what's kind of amazing about it. I don't think... I, the only event I can ever remember, and I remember publicising it because everyone wanted to see it, was way back when, in the early 2010s, whenever Dan Hardy fought George St. Pierre. There yeah. wasn't a TV deal at the time, and Satanta were going under. And I remember getting the nod on the story and putting it out. And it, was, it was at a time when, when the internet wasn't wildfire like it is now. And they said that they were going to show it on a on a channel free and it went crazy because people want to see Dan Hardy obviously fight George St. Pierre for the for the welterweight crown but I do think this is really good news um, because it just I mean you know we all three of us have said God there's such a market there for Bellator to do this now there's a space there yeah. Viacom who owns Bellator um, also owns Channel 5 and they've really done the right thing. I think it's a really good move. Even even more so now that they are putting on really good cards. I mean, me and you have had this conversation previously where I've been a little bit dubious of the heavyweight Grand Prix mm. where they're bringing out all the old school and putting them on. I know there's one of those on tonight, but I mean, with Rampage uh, fighting in the, in the co-main event, but the main event is actually a phenomenal fight at middleweight between Gegard Masasi and Rory McDonald, And I think if they continue to do that, Bellator are going to really make headway. 
I think they are going to continue to do it. You know, like you say, Rampage Vandalay is a bit of, you know, it's a little spice on the cake. I mean, Vandalay came out of the way in yesterday at the SAP Centre here. He really didn't look in very good shape at all. He's quite chinny now. Um, I expect Rampage to win that very well. Um, you know, Bobby Rimmer's out with him as always. I've had time with Bobby Rimmer out. He's always great fun. He's got more stories than the best comedians in the world to sit down <laughs> with Bobby Rimmer for. No, but he is. He's so old school. He's fantastic. Rampage is on great form. So they're just kind of like a bit of spice on the card. But as you say, you've got the welterweights, Douglas Lima and Andre Koreshkov fighting each other. I know Nick's a big fan of Koreshkov yep. as well. Um, you know, th- th- that's on the card. That, Aaron Pico. Fight. That, Aaron Pico oh, yeah. fighting Leandro Ego. Yeah. You know, um, Gil Melendez's wife's fighting. And then, of course, you've got Musasi against McDonald. And it's a super fight for McDonald for me, but it's not a super fight for Musasi mm. for me. Yeah. You know? Um, but but in, in terms of what they're doing at the moment, obviously it's the launch of DAZN over here as well. Mm-hmm. And we saw how big they were around Anthony Joshua when we were covering that last week. But I did ask Scott Coker, guys, you know, about the Channel 5 deal and what they were really trying to achieve Yes, I mean, it's something that we've been working on, uh, as you know, for the last year. And, uh, you know, I always said, I always felt like I'm telling the British fans, we're working on it, we're working on it. Well, hey, we finally did it, right? So this is a massive card, and it's probably, you know, top two in my history books as far as, like, the quality of opponents and just of, this is like a pay-per-view quality card. It's a super card, isn't it? It's a mega card, right? And this could easily be on pay-per-view for $70 here in the United States, but, you know, it's free on uh, the zone. And it's free on Channel 5. Free on Channel 5, right? And, uh, uh, and and so you know, to me, it's like I feel really good because I finally feel like we delivered, and we're going to continue to deliver. Mm-hmm. I'll be in London uh, end of next week for three four days before the New York fight, and we're going to keep working with Channel Five and and uh, making the situation better. But I think the UK fans will be really happy with uh, we have to announce uh, you know sometime in the future here for uh, Bellator. Channel 5, other broadcast partners, and the UK. So so what you're saying is going forwards, this is most likely to be a very regular occurrence. And also with this series you want to do in the UK next year, you want to have it live on network TV as well. Yeah, and one of the things yeah, we're going to do is we're going to open an office in, in London. And uh, we're working all the details out of that. We're going to start hiring some staff. I mean, we're going to make a real you know, company there, not just a, you know, like a satellite company that has to rely on the United States. We're going to let them build out their own UK and Western Europe, you know, operations, and it'll have its own digital team, its own social team, its own PR team, and, uh, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to go for it, and we're going to support the 10-fight series that we're going to do in Western Europe and in the UK, and most of those fights will be in the United Kingdom, uh, and we'll do some fights in Ireland. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's going to be a great ten-fight series in in their time yes. in their time zone yeah. for you know them to consume in prime time and watch local fighters, local talent, and we're even gonna, you know we'll this still be worked out, but um, we'll have a local commentary team, right? We're not going to just bring our the U.S. talent over there to do that because I think that you know in talking to the British broadcasters, they'd rather see a, a British team, mm-hmm. and I think that's what we're going to do. Have you asked him if you're getting the job, Gareth? You know what's happening, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be silly now. You can hear the energy there. Absolutely, not, yeah. You know, you, you can hear the energy. What's really good about this, um, you know, 
we, we've followed the UFC all these years as well. You know, Marshall Zelaznik and Ant Evans all those years ago in the UFC, 2005, 2006, they built an office in the UK. And we know what happened for five or six years, seven years. Mm-hmm. There was a real concerted effort to really build the market. I don't think the UFC really builds the market in the UK anymore. Mm. Um, obviously, there's great fighters. They sign people. But Bellator have literally signed up 40 fighters, and they're going to make a go of it. If they're going to put fights on on a Friday evening live on Channel 5 um, or, you know, or, or, or a Thursday evening or a Wednesday evening, they'll get an audience for it. Yeah. You know? And I think it's great. I think it's a great move. And I think you know, it's free MMA on TV. And, and that, that, that's what's great about this at the moment. I think that the contract with DAZN, DAZN have got 24 exclusive events over the next three years of Bellator, obviously the welterweight tournament, eight events a year, and then they can show all their other programming. But that $140 million or whatever it is, has given them a war chest to do these things. Mm. So I just think it's a really it's a really good time for them. Anyway. I just think as well, this weekend, Conor McGregor back next weekend, and then, you know, the heavyweight semifinals. I know they're not the biggest names, but Fedor's still in it, and he does a draw. Chael Sonnen's a massive character over here in America. He's also a star on ESPN, as well as, you know, with Bellator. And ESPN is, is hosting the UFC um, events going forward. $1.5 billion mm. on ESPN Plus over the next five years. What we've got is a massive investment in the sport, and I think a real seminal month in which mixed martial arts is proving, like boxing at the moment as well, that it is the one of the commodities for the over-the-top streaming services, the new way we're going to watch things to be competing over. And I just think it's brilliant that mixed martial arts is in that landscape. No, I couldn't agree more, mate. Absolutely. I like the way that you brought up uh, <clears throat> Conor McGregor's name. They're obviously fighting next weekend against Habib. Uh, you're going to be there. My uh, colleague in the studio tonight, um, Nick Pete, when he walked into the building, said, oh, I'm off to Vegas this week to go and watch Connor. <laughs> so I'm just going to let you two talk about it because I'm trying to avoid it at all costs <laughs> because I'm a little bit jealous. Uh, well, <laughs> the, the, the secret is, the secret is, get on a flight, Adam. Let's do the show from there. That's the Absolutely. right answer. That's the right answer. <laughs> Listen, I mean, we... We absolutely can't get enough of Conor McGregor. And for him to have been out of the octagon for two years, to come back and to take the most dangerous fight possible says a lot about the man. Of course it does. I mean, he's an extraordinary character. I mean, you know, that press conference last Thursday was, was off, or Thursday before last was off the charts. <laughs> um, he's, he's, he's special. He, he's like no one else we've seen. No one else has his smack talk and backs it up. I've been having debates here with some of the MMA journalists covering events here in San Jose. And, of course, Khabib Nurmagomedov is training here as well. Mm. So I'm going to nip down to AKA a bit later. I've been busy with the Bellator event this week, but I'm going to nip down and see Khabib Nurmagomedov. And a lot of the American journalists feel that Khabib, even though he's quiet, is, has as much self-belief as Connor. Mm. But I just think connor has got something special. And I just think he's fearless. Um, and, and, I, and I don't know about... You, Nick, because as you said, Adam, you don't want to really discuss it too much. I think Connor's got a real chance in this fight if he goes for it early. Absolutely. I think uh, Khabib, in a lot of ways, is made for Conor McGregor. You know, I think let's not get away from the fact that Conor McGregor is the biggest name in this sport and this fight is happening because Conor, Conor McGregor has chosen for it to happen. There's a reason why it's happening quickly inside just 60, 90 days or whatever it was, and that's because Khabib struggles with the weight a little bit. I think Conor's already started his psychological. Uh, 
war, which happened last week in New York, I think at one stage could be got a little bit ruffled towards the end, and we can expect tons more of that this this coming week in Vegas, Gareth. I'm sure. Definitely, and you know it's going to be off the charts the whole thing. I mean, nothing starts till Wednesday, of course, but. Mm. Um, you know, the, 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 you just see with everything Connor does. I mean, he is a social media genius for me. Yeah, he is. Everything he does is so compelling. But, you know, uh, Javier Mendes down at AKA here, just down the road, and, and, and Khabib's team, they're, they're very, very solid in terms of what they do. And I think, you know, if, if, he, if he gets taken to the ground, it's going to be a very tough fight for Connor. But he's really brilliant at scrambling as well. But I think he goes... I think the big thing is he's, you know, he's actually been away for two years. I think you can discount the Mayweather fight in in MMA terms. Yeah, he looks in great shape, but that's what worries me for Connor that he's been away two years, and I think that may be the telling factor in the fight. Mm. That's obviously the main event, and we're not nobody's even mentioned that uh, Tony Ferguson's on the undercard. It's a it's a tremendous. tremendous tremendous fight that Tony's involved in and he's a man that's been out uh, for uh, for a period of time as well I'm interested to see where he's at yeah I mean it's funny isn't it he's, he's really kind of slipped out of out of interest now in, in a weird way I mean the you know he's in a, in a great fight I mean Anthony Pettis is always a great fight but I just think you know um, Ferguson for me is you know I think he has fought at welterweight if I remember rightly and Pettis has come up from featherweight to lightweight, um, like Connor did, fair enough. But I just think Ferguson um, is a very dangerous fighter. I mean, um, he, he's going to be hovering in the wings. He's there for a reason on that card. You know, he mm. faces the winner. He could be the next one for Connor. But I reckon if Connor wins this, I think he gets that they, they he might even get it. I'm not saying this is a news story, but it wouldn't surprise me if he won this, if he got a small share in the company, like, you know, um, 0.25% of the company because it'd be in their interest to keep him around because he is such an enormous cash cow. I mean, you know, John Jones is still away and, you know, he's created big news in the last couple of days, hasn't he, by saying that he wants to come over and fight in boxing as well. But, you know, Connor is so much, in a way, the biggest star in the whole combat sports firmament, even bigger than Anthony Joshua, I would say, in many ways, you know? Yeah. Um, Stick around, Gareth, because we are going to uh, continue talking boxing with you next because we've got a a big show uh, on the the station next week on Fight Night where Callum Johnson hopes to become a world champion. Stick around. It's all coming next on Fight Night. Welcome to the jungle. You're listening to Fight Night on TalkSport with me, Adam Catterall, and Nick Pete in the studio and on the phone, Gareth A. Davis, who's stateside at this moment in time. And he'll be stateside for the next couple of weeks uh, because there's a lot going on. We've just been discussing, obviously, the return of Conor McGregor uh, and Habib and Nurmagomedov next weekend in the UFC. But also next weekend, a certain lad from Lincoln, or Lincolnshire, uh, Callum Johnson, is aiming to become the light heavyweight champion of the world as he takes on, you're going to love this, Gareth, his pronunciation, Perturbiev. There you go, lad, you can have that. Normally I say... Wow, that, that is almost cultural corner. Yeah, no, <laughs> normally I say better BF. It's a bit northern for Gareth, you don't like that. So Perturbiev uh, versus Johnson next week. It's live and exclusive on TalkSport. Uh, and it's a hell of a challenge uh, for Callum because Perturbiev's knocking kids out for fun. 
Definitely. Um, you know, I mean, he's he is a he's one of those. You know, he's a Golovkin, Gennady Golovkin mm. type fighter. who has got these incredible levers. Hasn't been beaten, um, and you know, everyone fears him. He's he's one of those people that he's almost like a rock. He's like a punching giant rock. Um, and Johnson, of course, is a huge puncher himself, and you know, undefeated, and his career's gone up and down. But the big thing about Callum Johnson and what I love about him, a little piece on him in, in, in the Telegraph, actually, today. Because um, um, Callum's story is he headed out to um, to Boston, um, where his father is buried. His father died two years ago, Paul Johnson. John O, as we called, his very best friend and his hero. And, you know, went to his grave before heading out to... Um, his dad was 52 and he died prematurely. And um, headed out to his uh, grave and had a word with his dad for heading out here to the States. I think Callum Johnson's going to try try and fight fire with fire. Mm. Um, and and I think it's going to be a really, really tough night. I do favour Baturbiev in this because yeah. I just think it's going to be tough. But you know what? Um, it, it's an amazing it's an amazing journey. And, of course, you've got Joe Gallagher fresh from victory in Jeddah with mm. him in the corner, you know, with, with Callum Smith's victory. Um, so, but it's going to be a really tough night. I don't know how you both feel about it. Not agree with exactly what you've just said there, but for if you're a puncher like Callum Johnson is, I mean, we saw him absolutely dismantle Frank Bullione to become the British champion last time out. He's only mm. had one round, hasn't he, in, in in eighteen months because of everything that's happened in his personal life. He's been away from uh, away from the ring. But if you're a, a ferocious puncher like him, and you're up against a ferocious ferocious puncher, for me, the attitude is. Whoever lands first wins, yeah. and I'm going to make sure it's me. I'm Roll the dice. <laughs> That's it. I've been with him last week in the gym, and you know, Callum Johnson was saying, listen, he's got two arms, he's got two legs, and he's got one chin, just like me. And at the end of the day, I'm going to get in there and let him go. He's going to get in there and let him go. And we'll see who lands first. And you know what? All credit to him. The good thing is Callum Johnson is going to America confident that he can land a shot that can end the fight. There's two ways of looking at that. It's a dangerous thing to do, to go in against of course. another unbeaten fighter and someone that's got so much high praise behind him like Baterbiev has. But Callum Johnson's fearless. He's going out there. He's, he's just come through the toughest 18 months of his life. There's nothing that awaits him in America uh, next weekend that's going to drive fear into him or keep him up at night. And, Gareth, we, we know that there has been certain light heavyweights that have been offered Baterbiev in the past and they've said maybe it's a little bit too soon for me. I'm going to walk away from that particular fight at this moment in time. I'm not going to take that opportunity. Callum Johnson, fair play to him. He's had one round, like I said, in 18 months. He's been offered the Baterbiev fight for the chance to become world champion and he's just bitten, bitten their hand off and he's taking that opportunity. Definitely. And, you know, let's hear from him because I, I spoke to him before he headed out here and asked him what kind of challenge he is going to face against Arthur. He's a beast. He really is. He is that good. Um, obviously, I was in the amateurs at the same time as him. We never come across each other, but we could have quite easily have done. Um, and he, he is what he is. I'm, it's a massive, massive task for me. You know, I, I'm, I'm not deluded. I know exactly how, how tough a task it is. But I also know what I'm capable of, you know, and I also know the strength and power I possess. Um, and I don't think people saw a glimpse of it against Frank, but they haven't seen everything I'm about. And, you know, I, I just know deep down, I truly believe if I can produce the best I can produce, I can win that fight. Um, 
Oh, I don't know. I just know I can. He's you watched lots of tape of him? I haven't watched that much of him as a pro. I watched him, obviously, a lot in the amateurs um, because, we, again, he was always a potential opponent and, mm. he, and he was the man at the time, like he's a man now. Um, but I just, I don't know. I don't know. I just believe it's written in the stars for me. Yeah, and, but, it, but the victory there, um, the, you know, the, the, the launch of DAZN, uh, you know, in Matchroom USA... Um, he's got, you know, he's one of those Eastern Europeans who's kind of developed his career in America. It really allows you to put the flag for Callum Johnson, for Dad even, for Matchroom USA and for the UK, and you in the light heavyweight division over there. And it, you know, it probably is the route to to major financial success, to legacy, not for you, just you as a boxer, but legacy for your family as well, yeah. you know? Yeah, like Is say, that fair? Yeah, 100%. Is that all there as you're training? Do you think about yeah, all those I things? Think, does I it think, drive you? I think about that all the time, and it does drive me, and it, I just think, you know, if I can pull this off, you know, me and my family, are f- we're going to be settled for life, mm. you know? not mm. Obviously not from this fight, but what comes after it. And it does drive me, and it gets me out of bed in the morning, and, you know, I just think what could be and what will be and like I say I think about it daily and I visualise it and I go through it in my head and I just uh, like you say it's exciting times it's exciting times and again win, lose or draw I think it's exciting times because there's no chance on this earth that I'm not going to go there and impress people people are going to see they're going to see a proper fight and they're going to see that I'm a proper fighter you're going to go out on your shield whatever they're, 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 going to, they're going to know about Callum Johnson in America after, after October the 6th and that's a fantastic attitude to take going into a fight like this you've been given an opportunity you've got to take it with, with both hands and uh, listening to him speaking to you there Gareth I think he's fully appreciative of, of what this now means for the, for the next stages of his career too many people do get an opportunity and then freeze on that big stage and the way he's talking there's not a cat in hell's chance that's going to happen no he's he's you know He's one of those characters, I think, is what's happened with his dad, and it's genuine. He, he, you know, he talks about um, what he's been through in his life. You know, he, he, his dad, he and his dad, they, you know, they they ran a market stall together for the family. They've got, you know, they grow crops. They, you know, he said, I live in the middle of a cabbage cabbage patch, basically in Lincolnshire. He said, there's never a day goes by it doesn't rain, um, and, and that, that was his life. And his father, of course, was Scottish originally, and Callum won a gold medal for for Scotland in the Commonwealth Games in 2010. Um, He's a really remarkable character because he's a tough, he's a tough Bostonian, a Lincolnshire man, and he is very open about his emotions. And I I really like that about him. I think it's made him a stronger individual Mm. and his self-belief is there. And you can hear it when he's speaking. And, you know, I think we've seen before with the likes of, James DeGale going to America and winning a world title. Cal Brook going there and winning a world title. When Brits go to America and they really go out on their shield and, and, and win a world title, it turns them at Darren Barker. It turns them into a star. And there's a real opportunity for him. I'd say one thing about Artur Paterbiev. In his last fight, Eric Enrico Kohling, the German, refused to be bullied against him and took him 12 rounds. Um, he was knocked out in the last round, but They've looked at something, I think, with, with Baturbiev, who obviously was a world champion back in that period as well when Callum was winning Commonwealth Gold, just looked at him mm. and said, you know, we've just got, maybe maybe we live with this guy for a while. Maybe it won't be the, the stand and bang fight that we do believe. Because, you know, Joe Shoney, 
Joe Gallagher showing he's really smart in the game plan against Groves, for example, with, yep. with Callum Smith. Yeah, very smart indeed. Uh, listen, in the world of boxing, it's been quite an emotional week. Obviously, yesterday we spoke earlier on in the show about uh, the funeral of Enzo Calzaghe, uh, and there's been another sad passing uh, of a man that you were quite close to, uh, Gareth, over the last 24 hours. Yeah, Don Chargin, the the, 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 the war-a-week promoter, they used to call him, because he had brilliant fights week, on, week in, week out in Los Angeles for many years. Don Chargin has passed away... Um, with uh, with lung cancer at the age of 90, um, and that was yesterday. Um, he told the Ring magazine a couple of days ago, um, you know, he wanted to get to the um, Saul Canelo Alvarez Golovkin fight. Um, he'd spotted Canelo for Gold Boy promotions, and that, that they, he was the reason that they they brought him to America. And that you know, I, I've spoken to him a few times in the last couple of weeks, and he wasn't well. He was getting chemotherapy and radiotherapy for. Um, for his lung cancer that he had, um, you know, he, he just felt worn out. And uh, of course, he was a Hall of Fame uh, inductee in 2001, and so was his wife this year posthumously. So well, he told me a great story when I went to see him in, in, at his home uh, a few months ago down on the cat back at the, the, the uh, Californian coast. That, that you know, he and his wife Lorraine was desperately in love with his wife Lorraine, and when she died, he felt quite lonely. But he said they always used to turn all the phones off at four o'clock and have the evening together. And I think the great thing for him is he's going to be reunited with his loved one. That, that's the one kind of beautiful thing about Don passing, you know. Mm. Beautiful words, mate. Um, regarding Bellator then uh, this evening, because people will be tuning in on Channel 5 to have a little bit of a nosy in on that. You fully anticipate uh, Rampage, Rampage to do the business. Um, what's your thoughts on the main event? Masasi versus McDonald. Obviously, McDonald's stepping up in weight to take on this phenomenal challenge against a top middleweight. Who's coming out? I think it's going to be Gegard Masasi's night. I mean, I think, you know, he does look bigger than Rory. Rory weighed in at 100 and, what was he, 184 pounds, or probably 192, 193. Mm. Um, Gegard, I think, is a, is a bigger man. Um, and I just think he's got all the tools. He, he makes very few mistakes. Um, and I, um, I asked Edgar about how he would beat him. He said, I'm going to either submit him in the second round or ground and pound him, or I'll, if he wants to uh, make it a technical chess match, I'll just beat him in a hard-fought five-round fight. He said, demolition is what I'm doing on Rory McDonald's. You know, it's, it, the trouble is for, for Gegard, it, it's kind of a lose-lose. He wins, they go, meh, should have won it. He, yeah, yeah. You know, Mm. He's yeah, a welterweight. He, wins, he mm. should have won anyway. Yeah. yeah, if he loses, they say, you know, he shouldn't have lost to a welterweight. But, you know, I, I think the great thing is it's a seminal moment for MMA. Uh, UFC's growing, as we know it is all the time. They're very smart. Bellator's making a big move to the UK. And the, and the British fans can watch it at 3am, the main cards on Channel 5. I think it's great news. Top man. Listen, you enjoy, my friend. We'll speak again next week as we build up towards... Uh, McGregor and Habib in the UFC top stuff uh, Gareth A. Davis as always thank you very much Nick for being with me in the uh, in the studio for the show I uh, hope you've enjoyed it if you've missed any part of Fight Night tonight here on TalkSport then it is available as a podcast you can download it via iTunes or via the TalkSport website it's been an action packed weekend where we've seen Callum Smith become the new super middleweight king and of course there's plenty more to come on TalkSport over the next couple of weeks next week it's uh, Callum Johnson versus Artur Baturbiev for the IBF Light Heavyweight Championship of the World then we're up in Newcastle for Lewis Ritson and boy will that be a show 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.